Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for episode 106. Uh, we are recording this Sunday night, December 27th, 2020, at 5 p.m. Pacific time. It's our last podcast episode of 2020. Uh, I hope everybody had a great uh, holiday weekend, a wonderful Christmas. Uh, I am your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me, as always, are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. And guys, I want to start off uh, by paying off something we talked about a few episodes ago. And going back about a month and a half, we did our, our 100th episode, Massive Deep Dive into Sideways. And we had a comment left for us. Um, that asked us a trivia question of where is there a beer in Sideways? And, uh, and we were begging for an answer, and we finally got one. So uh, here is where there is a beer in Sideways. I don't know if you guys have seen this yet, but I'm gonna, I'll read this to you. Here's the comment. It says, after the hospital visit uh, to fix Jack's nose, when they're kicking it in the hotel room, the beer is on the nightstand next to Jack. There's also an Oban Clamat uh, bottle on Miles' side, the same wine we see prior to on Stephanie's coffee table as they're getting stoned. The brew is a Carlsberg from Copenhagen, Denmark, which fits the Danish theme of Solvang. Nice. So after, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that this person is probably someone who gets like the latest edition of Barely Legal. That's probably the social life they have to have that level of detail. But kudos, I applaud it. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So apparently, Miles or uh, or I mean Jack, uh, the cure for broken nose is is uh, is drinking beer. Maybe it was, he was drinking beer because with the broken nose he actually couldn't sniff and uh, and and do the full. He doesn't do that. You anyway. know. Yeah, he doesn't really. <laughs> I mean, he is the one chewing gum, so. And but stuff yeah. that a few beers can't take care of, just like we're taught in Days of Confused. Exactly, exactly. So there you go. There's where beer is in Sideways. And now forever, that will be the beer scene. Yep. <laughs> I, I mean, I could picture how that would be. I don't know how I would never have noticed that before. I mean, if it's just sitting there, I could see us. I could see overlooking it. But of course, Miles has, has, has wine. Of course. Yeah. It's like when things get real, Jack's true colors come out. Though. I'm really surprised there was no beer at AJ Spurs. That that's where my money would have been on the beer I know. appearance. That seemed like the most likely option. Or the golf course maybe. Maybe the principal's yeah. drinking it. No, he's not drinking it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let, let's uh let's find out what we're drinking. Zach, what do you got tonight? I have the classic salts uh, holiday beverage. I can only you know, drink it so much longer before uh, it turns to 2021, but it is a Kahlua and eggnog. Extra Kahlua this time. Well, every time. Ah, uh, very nice. <laughs> very nice, very nice. Todd, what do you got? Uh, I'm drinking something I was given last night. The Burnside West End Blend from Portland, Oregon. And uh, I think someone on this podcast might know something about that. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Todd. Thank you. It, 
It's pretty smooth, isn't it? Yeah, like, like, it's a smooth whiskey. Yeah, it is good. I didn't even know that American whiskey was actually a thing. It's somewhere just called whiskey, or... Is, I mean, I've never put, haven't seen it put American whiskey before. <clears throat> Alright, well, uh, I have... Uh, so, Christmas Eve, Ridgewalker did a special 50% off growler fills. So, so obviously we had to go store up for, for the weekend and, and we did. And so I've got some, it's still from, it's still from Thursday, but, uh, so it's a, it's a little flat. It's not fresh, but it, it's their long strides by the beach, which is their, their pale ale with, uh, with some hints of mango and passion fruit in it. However, the cool part is, um, just today, I got a Christmas present from my brother-in-law. Shout out to Mac if you're listening. He has listened to the podcast before. I don't know if he'll listen to this one, but uh, I, my mug is a is the barrel of a baseball bat, and uh, and it actually has a, a a little logo here for the Seattle Mariners, and it's basically their entire opening day roster from this last season. Now, now the sad part is, since it was the opening day roster from this last season, like half of them aren't on the roster anymore. But still, it's a pretty awesome mug. It like it's a true, true, legit baseball bat, and uh, and so yeah, the, the, there we go, there we go. I'm drinking out of a baseball bat tonight, guys. <laughs> All right, well, let's get into this. We've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on. Um, on Spotify, on Pandora, on YouTube. Uh, there is uh, going to be a new Daily Notes episode by the time you listen to this where uh, Adam interviews a, uh, a YouTuber from Australia. Uh, so uh, so be looking for that one. Um, we have a lot to talk about. We have what, are, what we've been watching. Then we're going to go a, another round or two of what we've been watching as so many movies have come out in the last week or so uh, that are that are big time movies. We're going to review one all together. And also just with everything that's come out. And I know like Zach and I are teachers. We're on Christmas break. So we've had time to actually catch up on some stuff. So we have a whole lot that we're, we're going to discuss today before we get to our last deep dive of 2020. So it's a big episode. It's jam packed. Make sure you listen to, to it all and, uh, and stay tuned for all of that. So we're going to go to Zach first. Zach, what have you been watching? All right, well, the most exciting thing I watched this week was not something I was expecting to be most excited about, but it, it ended up being. It's, it was actually, it's actually a TV show that's playing right now on Amazon Prime, and the name of the show is The Wilds. And it, ha- it is about, it, basically, it's a cross between um, a uh, Orange is the New Black meets Castaway with a little bit of um, the Hunger Games involved. And the premise is that uh, this group of about 10 teenage girls is on it. They have signed up for this like, uh, like um, camp uh, it, that is in a dis- distant place somewhere off the Hawaiian Islands, but they're playing crashes. And so then they, they all end up on a deserted island. And uh, it is the story about it. So each episode is like Orange is the New Black in the sense that there's a flashback to each of the characters' um, life. And there's sort of mythology about how they got there. And um, this is kind of intercut with uh, interrogation scenes that happen after the crash, after they're presumably rescued. This is a really good show. Um, each of the characters is really well drawn. And there's genuine suspense in the show. There's genuine moments of unpredictability. 
the characters are not really what they seem and sometimes there's a surprising sort of knowledge that they have or ba information about their identities that change the course of the story i'm uh, i've gotten through eight of the ten episode episodes um this was just renewed for a second season um it has a lot of great performances i think the standout performance is by helena howard who plays a character named nora and helena howard it was the star of madeline's madeline um, which was that kind of indie movie a few years ago by josephine decker who who directed um shirley which we reviewed on this podcast but there's a lot of other great performances too rachel griffiths is also in it um it's a really really cool show i'd highly recommend it uh, if you're looking for um you know a thoughtful creative and unpredictable show that doesn't demand too much of your attention but has that sort of just perfect balance of like fun and intriguing but also like thought-provoking and interesting so definitely check it out All right, nice. I have not watched that one yet. I may have to check it out. Yeah, I, mean, I haven't heard of it. All right. Well, I'm going to go next. Uh, my anniversary watch uh, was going back 20 years to 2000, and a Best Foreign Film nominee. Uh, this was the uh, nominee out of Belgium. Uh, that's where daddy's from. And it was, <laughs> I can't help myself. It was a movie called Everybody's Famous, uh, written and directed by Dominique Derudere. Uh, and it is, it's kind of this bonkers story of this guy who works in, um, in just a manufacturing plant who dreams of being a songwriter and is, uh, and his dream is to be a songwriter and to get his daughter to be a a uh a big huge pop star and he write her songs for her and his daughter is struggles a little with confidence she's not the uh the the bombshell that you would expect a pop a pop diva to be um she she tries a lot of talent contests and kind of is horrible at them um and uh and then everything takes a weird turn when this guy decides to kidnap the biggest pop star in the nation and uh and like hold her hostage so that her his daughter could get her big break um it, it's it's kind of like i mean it, it's kind of like a daddy daughter version of airheads you can almost say in a way but um it's it's really actually really cool it's really fun um and uh and it's got a lot of heart to it it's kind of goofy, off-the-wall uh, bonkers, but you really can just get into it and go along with it, and um, you can't help but root for the guy, even though he's, like, the biggest lovable loser you could find. Um, the main character is played by... Oh, now i got to find his name. He's played by Josie DePau, and uh, the daughter, uh, Marva, is played by Eva Vandergoot. I'm probably but butchering these names, but... Um, the director I was looking, uh, usually when you get nominated for uh, Best Foreign Film like this, it's kind of a stepping stone to bigger and better things. And he's really kind of stayed in that in that vein of, of doing Belgian films. Uh, I hadn't really heard of anything he's done since. Uh, he had one movie in 2014 called Racing Hearts, which starred Jamie Dornan from the Fifty Shades movies. Uh, that's, the only, that's the closest thing he's had to getting into, like, mainstream American cinema. Uh, but... Uh, a whole lot of fun. I was pleasantly surprised by this one. I'm giving it three and a half stars. So that kind of wrap that wraps up all the uh, foreign films from 2000 for me. 
Um, I'm not going to do a full ranking of them, but just now that I've seen them all, you've got like your your like landmark films and like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and Amoris Peros that were like defining movies of like the decade that were nominated that year. Then you had some um, a couple like hidden gems in there in like in Divided We Fall and Everybody's Famous, and then um, kind of your your bonkers like slapstick. Not slapstick, but like rom-com uh, French film in uh, The Taste of Others. So a really eclectic group, but fronting it with Crouching Tiger and Amoris Perils really makes it a really strong five uh, nominated for a foreign film in uh, in 2000. So there you go. There's your wrap-up of the 2000 foreign film category. <laughs> I got two more to go. I'm going to watch the next two this week, and then I'll be done with, uh, with my list for this year. So Have either of you seen Everybody's Famous? I have never heard of this movie, but no. uh, it does use the same font for its title on the poster as Welcome to the Dollhouse. So I'm very intrigued. Must have been a late 90s thing. It, mu- it must have been. I mean, it hour and a half, it, it's like a $3 rental on Prime. Uh, it, it's, it's worth it. I think it's worth the watch. It, it's a lot of fun. I think the only Belgian movie I've ever seen is Antonia's Line, which actually won the foreign film Oscar like in 1995, which I think is a Belgian movie. Maybe it's not. I don't know. It's from that area, generally, you know, where people are named Van der Kloot or whatever. Yeah, it, it's, it's right. pretty safe to say this is probably the first Belgian film I'd seen. Unless you count In Bruges, but that's just in <laughs> Belgium. Belgium. It's not a Belgian film. <laughs> All right. Todd. Talk about Nicolas Cage for us. What's the newest entry on the Cager? Uh, so I went with another anniversary movie. Uh, it is from 1990. It is David Green's Firebirds. Uh, and this movie is kind of nuts. It, it's, uh, it's, it's about the DEA and the Army, how they come together with this task force trying to uh, take out the drug cartel, so, but their helicopters keep getting shot down. So... They deploy some fighter pilots, including Nicolas Cage, who's like this arrogant, talented pilot. Uh, but And he actually was the only survivor of the previous mission, so he's like the lead aboard the, uh, the AH-64 Apache. And the movie starts out with like this, um, over the credits, it's like this briefing mission uh, uh, that sounds just like basically every stealth video game. Uh, start and it never really goes away from that it's a crazy action movie with a lot of explosions it's essentially the helicopter version of top gun or at least what it's that's what it wants to be and usually in these kind of like mindless war movies it still keeps you at a distance with like it's jargon because you can't really understand exactly what's going on but this movie is way dumber than that like tommy lee jones is the flight instructor and to his uh the people he's talking to he's like and yeah we are gonna kill him we're gonna kill him deader in hell and, you know, you gotta love that. It's almost, like, Avatar-esque in, like, in, like, its corniness of, of, of like, how, how it treats the military. But I love Cage's cockiness in this. He's essentially Maverick, but he has a feeling of being a real soldier at the same time. Essentially the opposite of Stanley Goodspeed. Uh, although he does just want to find some rockets. Like, and so, in the training scenes, he's at the simulator. It looks like an early version of Flight Simulator. And he's just sitting there. He's totally into it. He's like, I am the greatest! I am... The greatest! Like, and as he's, like, going through the game, it's 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 totally awesome. Like, classic Nick Cage stuff. Um, having said that, the movie's pretty terrible. Sean Young is, like, the love interest, and uh, she deserved a Razzie for this, even though it might be her best performance. She might be, like, the worst actress that has ever existed. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, the, and the movie is super tone-deaf when it uses her, too, because, like, it's got these wild action scenes, 
But then it's got like these flirting scenes with her where, where she's like, oh, you still got your brains in your cockpit. Uh, and, oh, we've always been, we've all been there when our guns won't go off. Like, yeah, yeah, ooh, sexy, wink, wink, nice. Um, the, the movie, like, I don't know, it never looks real. It never really feels authentic. It's hard not to, like, appreciate how blatantly it's ripping off Top Gun, though. And, like, how awesome Cage is. Like, he's, like, a bona fide movie star in this. It's, like, mid-2000s, like, Ryan Gosling. You know he's just about to pop. And uh, there's also a scene where he talks to his helicopter like he talks to Eleanor in Gone in 60 Seconds, which was awesome to see. I, if it had focused less on the actual mission and more on the training, it could have had some sort of cult status. But instead, it's, like, forgotten or not really seen, because I never heard of it before I turned it on. I'm giving it two stars. And it is number 57 on the cager between 8mm and the Ant Bully. You're that low on 8mm? I didn't, I didn't realize that. I mean, two stars. Eight, eight millimeter is, I don't know, I haven't seen it in a long time, but maybe that's one I'll have to revisit when all this is over. I, I, lo I love how you just gave out the, I think, the first lifetime achievement Razzie. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is a great point, though. I can't think of anything good that Sean Young has ever been in either. Well, she's in good movies, she's just never good in them. Like, I mean, she's been in, like, Blade Runner and such, but, I mean... She was given a lot of really interesting roles, and she just is terrible. So, um, I texted you about this movie, like, earlier in the summer, because I'd seen Siskel and Ebert review this movie. I'd never heard of it either. And, like, it was a really funny rewatch of their episode from 1990. Like, Siskel got in his whole, like, faux, like, moralistic, like, I shouldn't, uh, you know, consumers shouldn't have to watch this, and we deserve better than this. And um, I think Ebert had some sly admiration for it, if memory serves, because I never found a print review of it. But, um, yeah, it might be worth a, a rewatch, but I'm, I'm glad you watched it. It, it. it looked pretty awesome from the footage I remember seeing. Yeah, I'll have, to, I'll have to watch the review. I, I didn't I didn't do any more research on it other than watching it, so. Do you think you're, like, the first person in 30 years who's actually seen it? Well, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm the first person to review it. Where did you even find it? Is It It must be streaming somewhere. That's amazing. Uh, it was streaming somewhere. I don't exactly remember. I'll look it up real quick. Streaming somewhere. Somewhere. It, fe right, it, it feels it has pods. a strong vibe of one of those like um, free with ads YouTube movies. That's that's my guess. It was on Hoopla, which oh, there we is go. one of okay. it's one of my favorite uh, streaming things. You, it's just like Canopy, but it has more like random stuff and more like current stuff than Canopy. Very nice, very nice. All right. Well, let's move on. So that's what we, that's our, our usual, what we've been watching. But now let's get into our, our 2020, what we've been watching. And just kind of, we're going to kind of go rapid fire around and each kind of give something that we've seen. And we'll talk about it a little bit if, if multiple people have seen it uh, before we get to our, to our main featured review here. So, uh, Zach, go first. Give us something, give us a 2020 film you watched this week. All right, well, I don't know if this is a 2020 film or not. It was, it, it's been released in 2020, and it's listed as 2020 in Rotten Tomatoes, but IMDb calls it a 2018 film. It's called The Swerve, and I found it randomly on um, Amazon Prime. And it tells, it, it tell, it's directed by someone named Dean Capsalis, 
And um, basically, it stars uh, Azura Sky as a woman named Holly, and she is a mother and wife, and she lives in this kind of idyllic suburban neighborhood. It's like it's almost like a more contemporary sort of far from heaven setting. You know that something is lurking underneath uh, the current, though. She's an English teacher by day. But uh, she, by night, she, well, she doesn't sleep at night. Is uh, she has insomnia, and then she there's this issue with like a rat that's in the house that she has to, that is like uh, m- making her go crazy with with obsessive compulsive. So she calls a rat exterminator to try to get rid of it, but he keeps grating at her. Um, and then gradually, you know, she kind of starts falling apart in somewhat predictable, like, you know, uh, indie type uh, tra- uh, traumas that you see for upper crust characters in like 2010s Sundance movies. So, you know, basically her husband is cheating on her. Her kids are jerks. Um, she has a student in class who uh, like is sexually obsessed with her and they end up having sex in her car. And, um, you know, it sort of devolves into, uh, well, uh, you know, like a, a, a more serious Todd Salons movie. Um, and, uh, you know, the results are decidedly mixed. I mean, it's definitely like, um, what I like about the movie is that, uh, the movie has no holds barred. Everyone around this character is a terrible piece of shit. And I like movies like that where like the, the, the main character is the only source of like moral reasoning in this world of just complete horrible assholes. So I liked that aspect of the movie. It does traverse to very kind of dark places, very Alan Ball kind of stuff too. You know, Todd may be into that. Um, as a result, though, though it, it's sort of a mixed bag because I've seen it before. It doesn't necessarily do anything radical, but you know, if you're in the mood for something depressing and showing uh, the decay of, of suburbia and uh, characters who can't escape from um, their affluence and from uh, you know everything that's been given to them in their white bourgeois neighborhoods, um, then this this one's for you. But uh, for me, it's only a two and a half star film. It has a lot of good ratings. It has like a 91 on Rotten Tomatoes, I think, something around there. Um, it's an inter- Interesting movie. Probably would have been more impactful in a movie theater. I think the lead actress is really good in it, Azura Sky. But uh, it's you know it's it's okay. So it looks like here it was it made its debut in 2018 at a Greek film festival, and then uh, didn't get its official American release until September 2020. So, so we're calling it 2020. God damn it, we're calling it 2020. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Not heard of that one. Um, what was the title? I, I didn't catch it. The Swerve. The, the Swerve. Swerve, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know that one either. Yeah, it was definitely one of those, like, oh, poster looks cool, gonna hit play, and let's see what happens, man. Usually I reserve that for <laughs> Canopy, but this one was on Amazon Prime, so I feel like Amazon Prime's had a bunch, bunch of those in the last few weeks. It's a fun adventure to All take, right. man. You should try it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, well, uh, the first one I'm gonna talk about is... Uh, was just released this week it is the latest netflix film it's called the midnight sky starring george clooney directed by george clooney um and uh i have always been a, a clooney fan especially the movies he's made i never did see what was that what was it suburbicon or something i never saw that one but it was supposed to be horrible yeah. um and i think this is his first turn behind the camera since then does that sound right um anyway so this is based on a book uh and um you have this like post-apocalyptic uh, world where uh, where like everyone has has died or um, or is in hiding from some unknown uh, catastrophe that has like um, made the air 
toxic and just automatically kills people. And George Clooney is one of the few people that's left uh, who he's been living in an uh, obs observation station up in northern Canada, like at the very almost in or into the Arctic Circle. So he he's kind of away from it. The toxic toxicity hasn't reached him yet, and he is um, and he finds that there is a this is like 40 years in the future and he finds that there is a spaceship that ha is returning from a, a mission to a distant planet that um, that is still out there that hasn't been contacted yet and let and they don't know that there is a problem on earth and so he makes it his um, his responsibility kind of like his dying act to try and contact them and uh and save that crew and potentially save humanity in the process um throughout the throughout the time he's uh he finds that he has uh he has a uh, a small like eight or nine year old girl who was left behind by the rest of the people who were at, at this observation station uh that had evacuated um and so the two of them are kind of teaming up to find a way to contact this spaceship um on the spaceship you have felicity jones david oyelowo uh, Kyle Chandler, um, Damien Bashir, and Tiffany Boone. That's the crew of the of the spaceship. And so, for a lot of the movie, it kind of goes back and forth between George Clooney's quest to contact them and the perils that are happening on the spaceship. Uh, it's kind of like half the Martian, half Passengers. Um, I I know not a whole lot of uh, it's not been greatly received. Uh, right now, I'm looking. It's got a 5.6 on IMDb. Um, I, I can see why people don't like it. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was good. It is a little all over the place. Um, but I felt the story was engaging enough and, uh, and the direction and cinematography are, are just gorgeous too. So I'm giving it three stars. Uh, I think it's worth a watch. Um, I have a feeling I might be the only one on here that gives it thumbs up, but, uh, I'm okay with that. Uh, I, I, I really got into it. I really, uh, enjoyed it and, uh. And I, I think it was it was worth a worth the watch, um, but it's kind of weird to see grizzled old George Clooney. Uh, it it kind of reminds you just how old he's gotten over the last few years. So, The Midnight Sky. Have either of you seen that one yet? Nope. All right. I tried to watch ones that I thought you got neither of you would have would have caught either. So uh, so congratulations. I, yeah yeah. Picked okay. Right. Todd, what'd you watch? Uh, so I watched the uh, uh, now-minted HBO Max original kind of Wonder Woman 1984, directed by Patty Jenkins, and this finds Wonder Woman or Diana in 1984, and they come across this thing called the Dreamstone, which grants wishes, so she sort of has her wish granted to bring her the love of her life, Steve, back to life uh, in the form of some other guy, and uh, we also get this character named Barbara, played by Kristen Wiig, who uh, is like a fan of Diana's, and they ha they immediately developed this sort of relationship that, c I mean, I could not help but think that Patty Jenkins was thinking of Selby and Eileen in Monster, like, it was so weird, and it was it was actually kind of beautiful, and I, I really appreciated that, and from that moment, I was kind of hooked on this movie, like, uh, it, it becomes this movie that's sort of like spider-man with like a really cool bond villain uh the bond villain being uh 
the character played by Pedro Pascal, Maxwell Lord. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it goes a lot of places. It's a lot of fun. There's some really cool action scenes. And I, I think it's, I mean, it's pretty much unquestionably better than the first one, which I think if we were doing a ranking of, like, the five most overrated movies of the last ten years, then that would have probably been number one because it was not a good movie. But everyone seemed to like it. This one is significantly better and pretty much, without any competition, the best DCEU movie. Uh, that uh, So, yeah, I'm giving it, it's, it's, at least, it's a high three stars, almost a three and a half star movie. I, I love this movie. Wow, you're the only one who's liking this movie, man. It is getting shit. That's what on. I've heard too. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm the only one who didn't like the first one, so maybe that's something. I I thought the first one was was good, but not like legendary, like everyone has has made it out to be. I I felt Wonder Woman and Black Panther were kind of in the same boat in that yeah, they were more in... overrated movies the last ten years, essentially. <clears throat> yeah, they, but by but it was it was that audiences. <laughs> it it was that they they were more important than good. And and they they were decent movies, but but they got overblown because of their importance and uh, of uh, what they were portraying, and uh, and yeah. So I I I think it's funny that you're saying that you had the first entry was the most overrated, and the second entry might be the most underrated comic book movie of the last ten years. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I mean, I I mean, I thought I thought it was it was nails right from the beginning. So I mean, hey. I can't. Yeah, I want to know what you guys think of it when when you guys watch it. I mean, it's easy to find, obviously. Yeah, I tried to I tried to catch that one this weekend. I just didn't get to it. I didn't have two and a half hours to dedicate to a movie this weekend, so I'll try and catch that one uh, this week sometime for sure. All right, let's do another round, Zach. Okay, I'll keep this one What's real short. Else? So uh, I was also on Amazon Prime this week. I saw a Christmas, a, a, a little poster for a Christmas movie that I thought looked freaking awesome, and it kind of was. And the name of the movie was called Better Watch Out. It's not a 2020 movie. It's technically made from, in 2016. But it tells the story of a 12-year-old boy named Luke, and it is, I believe, Christmas Eve, and Luke's parents, who are played by um, uh, Virginia Madsen and Patrick Warburton, are going to a, a party, and so he needs to have a babysitter. So they call this girl Ashley, who's babysat for Luke before, and she's, I think, 18 years old, and Luke has a massive crush on her. So the first part of the movie is about Luke and his friend Garrett trying to set up this way that he's going to seduce her. And obviously, this is a, a very much a setup for like a more more modern take on Home Alone because when the babysitter comes over um, we see intruders start to invade the house and suddenly Luke and Ashley are thrust into this kind of semi you know Kevin McAllister situation there's even a spider there I mean there's it, 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 it's some very deliberate homages um, to Home Alone throughout this movie and then something happens like about 40 minutes in that completely changes the course of this movie and it goes from being a uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek horror comedy home alone knockoff to being um, closer in its DNA to like funny games and I cannot possibly spoil what that is because it's really surprising took me by surprise but um, I would say I really appreciated it the movie gets uh, a lot more serious at that point it gets a lot more violent but it's still really fun, and um, this is pretty much the most Adam Daly movie that's ever been made, um, and I don't know why he hasn't seen it. I texted him, and like, dude, you need to watch this movie. He never got back to me. I don't know. Maybe he was on like a Facebook Messenger meeting with you two. He might have been distracted. I'm not sure. But anyway, Adam Daly, if you're out there, I know you're listening to this, man. I know you got my text. See Better Watch Out. It is an amazing movie. I mean, it is basically the Christmas version of Ready or Not, and it, 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 it gets a solid, solid three stars for me. My heart wants to give it three and a half stars but you know let's not get crazy 
All right. Nice. Have either nice. of you heard of that? It's really good. Nope. No, I have not. It does sound like a horror title. Though. <laughs> <laughs> Has Virginia right. Madsen ever made a bad movie, by the way? I don't think that's possible, right? I mean, that was the first good sign, so, you know. I don't know her filmography well enough to be able to answer that question. I mean, this I'm is pretty sure right. the answer is yes, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. Like, All right, I'll you know, go next. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah she yeah, was in that. Yeah. Okay, well, my next watch uh, from 2020, this also came out this week. It's also a Prime Video original. It is called Sylvie's Love, uh, oh, written and directed yeah. by Eugene Ash, uh, starring Tessa Thompson and Not Mr. Kerry Washington himself, the former All-Pro NFL quarterback, Nan Diasamwa, uh, who also was a producer on the film. Um, set in the 50s in Harlem, it's just it's a classic love story um, that, uh, I, I mean, it kind of plays out like a classic love story. I mean, they, they fall in love, something gets in the way, circumstances pull them apart, and then are they able to come back together again? I don't know. We'll see. Um, it, it's, it's charming. It's fun. It's sweet. Um, Tessa Thompson is, is solid. Uh, it's great to see, uh, I think Namdi Asamoah actually has some pretty good acting chops. I mean, you don't normally see uh, guys go from the football field to, to the acting, uh, other than, you know, Ter Tony Saragusa playing a Russian in 25th hour. But, um, but he does a really good job as a jazz saxophone player. Um, it, like I said, it, there, there's nothing really special here. It's just a fun, sweet love story. Um, I could have done without the last scene. Like, the last scene almost bumped it down to two and a half for me. But I'm still going to give it a three star. Um, and it's it's cool to see a movie like this, just like that throwback classic love story, um, in that time period led by black actors. You don't normally see that. And I thought that was kind of a refreshing thing. And it it's something where it it's there, but it doesn't really, like push the fact of push the race relations on you throughout the movie but it's just kind of always always there it's just kind of a reality of it but it's not in your face like like a spike lee movie would be um which i really appreciated about it uh so uh so yeah i'm giving it three stars again i think the last scene almost ruins it because it is unnecessary and it tries to give closure to something that didn't need it i felt like but other than that really solid movie three stars I was thinking about watching it because I kept seeing commercials for it during the uh, Amazon exclusive NFL game that was uh, <laughs> on, and because uh, I had never heard of it, I was like, "Oh, Namdi Asawa, he was great in Crown Heights." And uh, so, I mean, I no, I, I didn't actually watch it, but I kept seeing commercials for it. It looks pretty good. Yeah, it's worth checking out. Worth checking out. All right, Todd, give us something else. Uh, so I watched also uh, Amazon original it came out maybe a month ago and it is alan ball's movie uncle frank which stars paul bettany as uh, a guy who is uh, uh in the 1970s who's gay and but he hasn't come out to his family but he has to go home to south carolina to his conservative family uh for his father's funeral and he takes his 18 year old niece uh played by uh sophia lillis from uh from the it movies and uh, 
I, I was kind of disappointed by this movie, honestly. Like, I, I really love Alan Ball's stuff, but I think he needs long form to really get the, the characters uh, fully developed to so you really actually care about them and you understand them. Because there's, like, a really legit supporting cast. You have Stephen Root, you have Margot Martindale, Judy Character Greer, actress. Steve Zahn. And you have uh, the the asshole guy that plays Ray and Remember the Titans, and he plays an equal uh, big douchebag in this movie. But, like, you just don't get enough scenes to really understand these characters, and I feel like he needs that, or he at least needs a director that knows how to focus the movie better, because this is his second feature-length movie. Uh, Talhead, I thought, was pretty good. This one is a step down from that, but... I don't know. I, I think he, he needs to stick with TV stuff. But, I mean, this movie is not eligible for Oscars. It is only eligible for Emmys because that's what Amazon decided. I'm giving it uh, two and a half stars. I, I was sort of let down. Uh, I know it's gotten decent reviews, but uh, I, I kind of uh, reluctantly say skip it unless you want to see a truly great performance, which uh, Paul Bettany is uh, extraordinary in this. It's his best performance he's ever given. All right. All right. Okay, I think we're gonna call it good there with our round robin of uh, of of uh, twenty twenty movies. Maybe we'll uh, we'll do that again next week. That was kind of fun um, as we continue to catch some of the stuff that's uh, that's been uh, out there. Well, let's get into our featured review because I'm really excited to talk about this one, uh, and that is the the latest Pixar film that was launched on uh, Disney Plus on Christmas Day, and it is Soul. Is this heaven? No, it's the great before. This is where new souls get their personalities, quirks, and interest before they go to Earth. Meet 22. I don't want to go to Earth. Stop fighting this. I don't want to. Uh. <laughs> oh, hey, look, I already know everything about Earth, and I don't want anything to do with it. You're missing out on the joys of life. And uh, I'm going to be the first one to take a crack at this one. Soul was uh, directed by Pete Docter. It is uh, Pete Docter's first Pixar film since Inside Out, which I think is appropriate because it is the closest... Uh, in the Pixar universe, Inside Out is definitely its closest relative. Uh, this follows um, a guy named Joe Gardner, voiced by Jamie Foxx, who is a, a jazz piano player that uh, is uh, kind of Mr. Hollanding it as a, as a music teacher. Um, while he's waiting for his dream to be realized. Um, and uh, there's some with jazz this week for me. I don't know. Sylvie's Love and then this. I don't know. So uh, anyways, he, he finally gets his big break and then he falls through a manhole and um, essentially, potentially dies. And uh, then we follow his soul through the afterlife and him fighting against having to, to walk towards the light. And uh, eventually he finds himself mentoring another soul who is yet to be assigned to a body. That soul's name is 22, who is like the problem child of the of the pre, pre-incarnation world. And that uh, soul is voiced by Tina Fey. Um, and he's, uh, Joe has to try and teach 22 about what it means to be alive and, and why she should want to be alive. Um, and uh, you've got you get some other great vo- voice performances throughout the throughout the movie. Uh, honestly, I didn't know I needed Graham Norton giving a voice performance, but as soon as I heard him, that was definitely what I needed in my life. Uh, this movie is is everything that's great about Pixar. Um, the the visuals are stunning. Uh, the story is uh, is just outstanding. Uh, Pixar, when it's at its best, um, when you're done watching the movie, you feel. Uh, you feel entertained, you feel inspired, 
you um, you feel like you want to be a better person. Um, you 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 get just that that warm feeling inside you. I, I've had it with with Inside Out. I've had it with Wally, and I had it with Soul. Um, it um, it like I said, it it just leaves you with this amazingly satisfied feeling. Um, the end maybe tries to wrap it all up a little too nicely in neat bow that I don't think it necessarily needed to, but uh, but I, I, I'm not going to dock it for that. Uh, I'm giving it four stars. I thought I think this is one of the, the better um, Pixar outings in a while. And like I said, it's everything Pixar has when it's at its best. One of the comments I did here is this is probably the least accessible uh, Pixar film for kids which I'd, I'd agree with. However, I watched it with my five-year-old son, and he was totally into it the entire time. I don't know if he fully understood everything that was going on, but um, I could see it, it's very existential, very much like Inside Out is, but with a lot less of the uh, of the like little kid jokes to j- kind of keep them engaged. But he was totally in on it the whole time, too. So that, that I think that has something to, something to say for it, too. So four stars, another Pixar masterpiece. I loved it. I thought you were gonna you were uh, quoting the the Jimmy V speech where you're like it makes you laugh, it makes you think, it makes you cry. That's a good day. I mean, you could you could <laughs> say that about it. I I would say for sure you could say that about it. All right, uh, let's go, Zach. Next, what do you think of Soul? Uh, yeah, I I love this movie too. I think it's um, I was not ex- I did not read that much about this movie going into it. I knew Jamie Fox was voicing the first uh, lead uh, African-American Pixar character, which I really liked uh, the idea of. And boy, within the first 10 minutes, this movie was surprising. I was not expecting it to go the direction it did. And I love when movies do that. I, I love that this movie took some risks in telling not just the story of this character whose life is very conflicted in ways that are understandable. The Mr. Holland's Opus comparison is a very good one. Um, but I also love that um, it brings in this other character of 22 and how the, the, you know, the conception for the afterlife is grounded in, you know, like, it, it's not offensive, it's not judgmental, it's not religious per se. You could call it maybe spiritual, but it's fascinating. Like Inside Out, you know, you, you just want to know more about the world that it creates. And um, Pixar has become less storytellers and more like world builders in movies like this and Coco and Inside Out. And I love it. I, I think this was like a fabulous and uh, totally inventive journey into this person's, you know, uh, psyche, but also um, the, the world that we don't even realizes is at the surface of what we're living in. Um, I found a really good tweet that I want to read. Um, this was originally going to be my quote of the day, because, but because of what we're going to be deep diving, but I think it's really applicable to this movie too. It says, Pixar movies 20 years ago. Haha, talking toys. Pixar movies now. How do you identify your life's purpose? What structures your identity and makes you you? How do you deal with love and loss? What can we do to find joy in our life despite the meaninglessness of our existence? Like, that to me shows, you know, an elevation and growth in the form of its storytelling. 
Um, and uh, the, the, the voice acting in this is fabulous. Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey, uh, Graham Norton. There are some really funny, pointed um, adult jokes, like the joke about the New York Knicks in this movie, which I thought was hilarious. Um, there's some great commentary about, uh, you know, uh, even like our kind of social situation. I love the scene in the barber shop, which is just fabulous. Uh, I think this movie is accessible to everybody. The only reason I'm not giving it four stars is because I felt like it was a little long at times and I didn't necessarily like all the cutaways. The cutaways felt very family guy non sequitur and I didn't really like that as much. Um, I felt like the movie could have had more organic comedy in uh, the, the, the mannerisms of its characters and situations, not the cutaways, which were sort of cheap. Um, but I, 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 still a very enjoyable experience, a, a strong three and a half star movie and one of the better Pixar features for sure. I will say one thing about, you mentioned the New York Knicks joke. And I, I, I liked the joke in the moment, but afterwards I was thinking about it. And I still like it, and I love that it was there. But one of the things Pixar tries to do so often is it tries to be timeless. And I felt like that was like the first pop culture reference in a Pixar movie that you could say might not date great. Yeah. Um, unless, I mean, the Knicks could be horrible for the next hundred years. I mean, it, it, it's very possible. However... I feel like it, w- it was the first time that I'm like, wait a second, that kind of might date this movie, and it's the first time I ever saw anything thrown into a Pixar movie that could date it. Um, so I thought that I thought that was really interesting. Okay, anyways, I just had to throw that in there since you mentioned it. All right, Todd, what did you think of Soul? Yeah, I'm right with you guys on that. I, I definitely f- felt this movie like it, it's inside out in its structure, but I feel like it's the most humane movie that Pixar has done, and. It, it focuses on adults, which isn't really normal for the Pixar movies, but uh, it gives it more resonance. But I, I like I was like Terry was saying, I could see kids actually digging this movie. Like it, even though it's like this existential examination of your soul and your subconscious and your reason for living, like the characters are really cool and like really interestingly drawn, and there are some like uh, jokes that uh, I feel like kids can understand too. Like I, I remember when like, Wally came out, and, like, Roper was saying, like, there's no way that kids are ever gonna sit through this movie, they're gonna be jumping up and down in the aisles, but, like, I mean, everyone loves Wally. Like, uh, I, I think, I think people underestimate, uh, how, how much a kid can actually absorb. Uh, but Pete Doctor, he is the brains behind the Pixar operation, clearly. Like, his movies are the most lovable, and the most emotional, and the last half hour of this, I thought was just bliss. Like, I, I, my, I could feel my heart swelling. Like, I, I loved, I loved the last half hour of this movie. And, I think that the this is as good as Pixar gets when in its non-Toy Story movies in terms of like its characters and the appeal and its message. I, 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 I think that it's. I mean, the the emotional impact the movie has and the intelligence of the script and like the just amazing like Oscar shoe-in score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. It, it it's just like hard to put into words. Like I mean, Nine Inch Nails for the win again. Apparently, like uh. The, their score is in, like amazing in this. It, may, it might even be better than the Social Network. Uh, but I think it's a special movie, and it's it's a good movie to come out on Christmas because it, it kind of has this like variation on a Christmas Carol or like Heaven Can Wait, where you like see him like back uh, in his life trying to like walk twenty two through everything, uh, but not really able to impact everything. It's just like, but I mean, it teaches you not to keep keep take your life for granted, I suppose. And I think it's Oscar contender in all categories. Um, 
Man, I mean, and now that everyone's able to see it, I think that it'll start picking up some more, like, uh, awards, because it hasn't really gotten the major critic love uh, so far, but now it, now it's pretty much widely seen, and everyone's gonna see it. I'm giving it three and a half stars as well. One of the best movies of the year. We are thrice approved on Soul. Hey, it's rare that that happens, and I'm glad this is one of the ones that, that we can do that with. Listen, sure. if you're gonna give thumbs down to Soul, then you don't have a soul. <laughs> and you shouldn't be watching movies. I, I don't. I, I don't know how anyone could find this objectionable. Like, like Todd was saying, like it, it's it's accessible and yet it's deep, and it it does the, the the stuff that I I love in movies, which is that it challenges you. Like you don't just watch this movie as a passive viewer. Like you might think, you know, when you're going into a Disney movie, right? Especially if you're an adult without kids. But this movie like challenges you challenges you on an intellectual level, which um, is just a really kind of amazing feat that it, it achieves. So hats off to Pete Doctor, hats off to the, this writing team and the animators, and it's it's a really great movie. Yeah, and, and Todd, I think you made a really good point that people don't really give kids enough credit for what they can what they can handle and what they can can appreciate. Like I said, my, my son my five year old son watched this and, and loved it. Um, he uh, we we got him a happy meal the other day and he got a soul toy. He got twenty two in the in the happy meal and so he he walks around and he's like hey mom and dad look here's my soul and when he's looking for where's my soul and it's really funny him wandering around the house asking where his soul is but um but yeah and 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 another yeah yeah and then another another um thing that happened just the other day of showing just how much they can handle is he got um one of the big candy canes filled with filled with uh reese's for for Christmas and he he took it and was using it as a cane and like dancing with it and he goes look I'm dancing like Charlie Chaplin as because I've showed him Chaplin movies and he loves them and it's like I mean yeah you're right the people don't give kids credit for how much they can handle uh for sure and and kids can definitely get into this one too that's good all right yeah 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 okay Cool and, and and yes, I, I show my kid Charlie Chaplin and and Buster Keaton and you know all the essentials and he loves them, um, because they're great movies and everyone can appreciate a little bit of that. Cool. All right. So Soul thrice approved on Disney Plus. If you haven't watched it already, watch it. Okay. Let's get into our deep dive now, uh, because we are super excited. It is our last deep dive of 2020. And this year, we've been focused on uh, film celebrating uh, anniversaries uh, this year. And we've, we haven't exclusively focused on 1995, but we've done a lot of 1995. And we thought it was, it was important to do one last 1995 film. And especially since we were reviewing Soul, the latest Pixar movie, that we should go back and deep dive the first Pixar movie. And that is Toy Story. Woody. The veteran. Draw! Go! Catch me again! Buzz, the rookie. Have you been replaced? No one's getting replaced. Excuse me. Well, light here to the rescue. Oh, okay. Who else? You're mocking me, aren't you? <laughs> Ow! What do you say I get someone else to watch the sheep tonight? <laughs> so, yeah. we are deep diving Toy Story today, uh, digging into uh, a film that was, uh, for all three of us, definitely, like, a part of the fabric of our childhood. So, uh, we're going to start with our trivia, as we always do. Uh, Zach, you're leading this. What are we doing? 
All right, uh, we're going to start this time with Todd, because I feel like we usually start with Terry, don't we? Probably. All right. Okay, so we're starting with Todd. So, I'll unplug. Yes. All right, so uh, Todd, we have um, nine questions worth a total of 13 points for Toy Story, and uh, yeah, well, let, let's, see how, let's see how you do. Um, okay, uh, first question. Um, you're probably not going to get this question exactly, but... Uh, oh, my first question was, uh, it, where is there a beer located in Toy Story? No, that's not, that's not my real first question. Um, okay, uh, how many frames of animated cells did it take to complete Toy Story? And it, we won't give you it right away. We'll see whoever is closer between you and Terry. Uh, how many frames of animated cells? I'm going to say 900 billion. 900 billion. Okay. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm, not even, I'm not even sure what that exactly means. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. Um, who performs the duet version of You've Got a Friend in Me with Randy Newman? Wow. I really don't know. All right. Uh, the answer is Lyle Lovett. I didn't know that either. Uh, um, I didn't realize there was a duet version. Um, what is the reward for Mr. Potato Head? Oh, it's like, it's like something, it's like a 50 bazillion dollars. Correct. You're on the board. Um, what toy got blown up by Sid in his backyard? Uh, it's a combat Carl. Combat Carl is correct. All right, this question is worth two points. Um, during the production of what two films did Tom Hanks take breaks during to record Woody's voice? Uh, it would have to be earlier, A League of Their Own. Correct. And... I don't know, Sleepless in Seattle? Correct. You got both of them. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Nicely done. Um, what is Andy's mom's license plate? Her license plate, it's like, it's like not a real license plate. It's like A, like A113. Correct. Not, not A24. That would have been funny. <laughs> um, what is the name of the moving company? Uh, Eggman. Correct. What is Buzz's name when he is in Hannah's room? I am Mrs. Nesbitt. Correct. And you even had the, the tone correct, so nicely done. Okay, the last question worth four points. What are the four code names used by Woody and the toy soldiers in their um, communication? So there's four of them used oh, during the movie. Frankincense and myrrh. Correct. And then it's like uh, Alpha Bravo and... Correct. Mother bird. Mother Correct. Bird. All right. Nicely done. You got a total of, let me count here, uh, 11 points. Not bad. 11 out of 13. <laughs> yes. All right. I'm back. All right. So um, we have a total of nine questions worth 13 points. And uh, there's not going to be a lot of room for error here, Terry, because Todd got 11 points out of a possible 13 points. Ooh. Yeah, he kind of ran a lot of stuff. So, 
Um, actually, he, I think he might know this movie better than me. We'll see. And actually, well, the first question is, where is there a beer located in Toy Story? And that was a joke question because there isn't a beer. Um, okay, but the first question, actually, I shouldn't, I don't know, I don't think I gave you a point for it, Todd, because I don't know if, if you get the point for it or not. The first question is, give me your best estimation on how many frames of animated cells it took to complete Toy Story. Two million. Two million. Well, Todd's guess was 900 billion. <laughs> so Terry is closer. It took 114,240. <laughs> oh wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah I'm not exactly uh, sure what that actually means. Like cells, like I, I don't know. Each part of the screen is what I was thinking. I don't know. Yeah, like twenty-four frames per second. So each frame, I don't know. I could have, I should have okay. worded that a little better. I don't know. Okay. Well, t- uh, Terry's going to need the point, so we're giving it to him. Um, who who performs the duet version of "You Got a Friend in Me" with Randy Newman? Well, I love it. Correct. <laughs> What is the reward for Mr. Potato Head? Oh, um, it's like 60 gajillion dollars. Uh, no, not quite. It's 50 bazillion. 50 bazillion. Oh, I... You know what? I knew that was going to be a question, too, and I just forgot what the number was. Yeah, it's yeah. bazillion, which is a, you know, a real thing. B-Z-I. Um, okay, yeah. what, what is the name of the toy that gets blown up by Sid in his backyard? Oh, it's a Combat Carl. Combat Carl is correct. <laughs> Sad fate for Combat Carl. Um, this is a question worth two points. During the production of what two films did Tom Hanks take breaks during to record Woody's voice? Um, My guess is Forrest Gump and Apollo 13. And that is incorrect. Very incorrect. The answer, correct answers are A League of Their Own and Sleepless in Seattle. Come on, man. It takes time wow. to do that animation. Can't yeah, I guess do you're that right. in yeah. a couple weeks. All right. Yeah. Um, next question. What is Andy's mom's license plate? A113. That is correct. What is the name of the moving company? Oh, it's like Eggman. Eggman is correct. What is Buzz's name in Hannah's room when he is in Hannah's room? Mrs. Nesbitt. That is correct. By the way, one of the jokes I had never noticed until this time is um, I'm sitting here sipping Darjeeling with Marie Antoinette and her sister. (laughs) Yeah, I had to turn on the subtitles to see what he actually said there. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Worth four points. Now, if you get all four of these, we're tied. So we may have to go to a tiebreaker question. Worth four points. What? There are four code names used in this movie between Woody and the toy soldiers. What are the four code names? Uh, frankincense. This is myrrh. Correct. Um, oh, and it's, uh, it's mother something. Um, Let's let's stay PG thirteen rated, please. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> it's like Mother Hen. That is incorrect. I I can't remember what the other one what the other side of it is. Mother Bird and Alpha Bravo. Mother, that's it. And so by I thought it was funny that was Alpha 10, Bravo too. Or maybe eleven. I can't remember if I gave you the point well whatever. Todd wins. Good job, Todd. Uh, 
I think I don't know. Right. I, I almost want to deduct a point for you for nine hundred billion, but it's okay if you didn't understand the question. <laughs> that was my fault. <laughs> All right. Well, before we move on from trivia, I actually have a couple trivia questions for you guys, and Uh-oh. it's going to take you maybe writing some stuff down to see who who gets this. I have I have three three lists for you guys to come up with. Okay. Um, so the first one here is I I have here the um the top five pixar films at the box office so i need you to try and come up with the top five pixar films at the box office in order and we'll see who who did the best is this adjusted for inflation no not adjusted for inflation Top five hey, Pixar films order? at the box I, uh, office. I have to come up with one, two, three, four, five. Have to, come, have to try and do it, yeah. Have to try and do it in order, one through five. Okay, I have it. All right, Todd has his. All right, Todd, you go first. Okay, I number one, Incredibles 2. Number two, Finding Dory. Number three, Toy Story 3. Number four, Cars 2. And number five, The Incredibles. All right, Zach? I went number one, Toy Story 3. Number two, Toy Story 4. Number three, Cars, number four, Inside Out, number five, Wally. Oh, that's wrong. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> okay. it's wrong. I, <laughs> that's a hard question. So, so I'll get. I actually have the top fifteen here. So I'll run through the top fifteen for you guys and Incredible see how you do. Incredible Steve, to be number one, right? Number number fifteen is Wally. Number fourteen what? is Brave. Number thirteen is Monsters Inc. Number twelve is Cars two. Oh. Number eleven is Ratatouille. Uh, number ten is The Incredibles. Number nine is Up. Number eight is Monsters University. Number seven is Coco. Number six is Inside Out. Number five is Finding Nemo. Number four is Finding Dory. Number three is Toy Story 3. Number two is Toy Story 4. And number one is Incredibles 2. So I have three of them, right? Yeah. Okay, here's your next list. Uh, Top five Pixar films according to IMDb rankings. Oh my god. According to IMDb ratings, what are the top five Pixar films? Well, I'm glad you listed a bunch of those, because I'd forgotten about yeah, some yeah, yeah. of them. And, and at the same time, you can come up with the other side at the same time, too. Come up with the bottom five Pixar films, according to IMDb. How many Pixar movies are there? Like 20? 20? 20, 22, if you count Soul. We won't count Soul. Of course, that's so why 21. they it, the character's name is 22, then, right? Oh, hey, that makes sense. <laughs> All right, let's go Zach first. Zach, give me um, give me bottom five first, then top five. Okay, I said Cars 2, Monsters University, Brave, Incredibles 2, and A Bug's Life. And then okay. for my top five, I went Toy Story 3, Finding Nemo, Toy Story 2, Wally, and Up. Okay, Todd, what do you got? So my bottom five, I had Cars 3, Monsters University, Cars 2, Brave, and A Bug's Life. In my top five, I had Toy Story 3, Toy Story, Coco, The Incredibles, and Up. Okay. Uh, So, bottom five. Number five is Cars. Wow. Number four is Brave. Number three is Cars 3. Number two is The Good Dinosaur. And number one is Cars 2. All three Cars movies are in the bottom five. Of IMDb ratings. And then for the top five, uh, according to IMDb ratings, number five is Up. Number four is Toy Story 3. 
Number three is Toy Story. Number two is Wally. And number one is Coco. Where is that on the top 250? Uh, that's a great question. Let me look. Because Toy Story is number 81 on the top 250. And Coco is number 75 on the top 250. That's really high. So that means... And Toy Story, I said, was where? Toy Story was... 80-something. So... So, yeah. So, Coco is 75. Toy Story is 81. Yeah. The question I thought was going to be asked was, what four things does Andy get for his birthday? Oh, yeah. yeah that, that would have been a good one. I The other one I thought was going to be asked is... Um, what were, I think it was, I think there were four or five different things that you heard from Woody's pull string throughout the movie. I thought that, that, I thought that was going to yeah. be, a, that could have been a question. Yeah, but the, that oh, would have taken too much effort. They got rid of the potty yeah, training true. one for the sequels, which I thought was weird. <laughs> in, in case you're wondering, uh, Soul is currently number three. And uh, on IMDb ratings in terms of Pixar movies, but uh, between Wall-E and Toy Story. Now that usually goes down as it as it as it goes along a little bit, but that's kind of where it's at. All right, Todd, I'm gonna go to you first. Tell us um, about uh, your experience with Toy Story and what you love about it. Uh, I I mean I've lived with Toy Story for a lot of my life. I mean, it came out when I was seven. I probably saw it pretty soon after that, and I used to watch this all the damn time. Like, it's it's one of my favorite movies. It's in my top 50 of all time. I doubt it'll ever leave, and uh, I think it's the best animated movie ever made. Uh, I love the characters, not just the toys. I, lo- I love the I love Andy, and I love Sid. I, I, I love everything about this movie and about the sequels. Like, I, I feel like this movie is, like, nostalgic at this point. I feel like Toy Story 2, I've seen the most, Toy Story 3 is, like, the most technically well-made, and Toy Story 4 is one I just am glad exists. I I can't get enough of this. I can't wait to see what, what they're going to do with the Lightyear movie. Uh, Toy, Toy Story is my childhood, and is, I don't know, it's it's everything. It's a, it's a perfect movie in every sense of the word. And this is why I'm glad we're deep diving it, because you're, you're absolutely right there. Zach, how about you? Yeah, I mean, I love Toy Story. Uh, it's a uh, really great... Uh, storytelling, although, you know, now compared to Soul, maybe it looks a little primitive. I think the issue for me, I'll just kind of come out with it. Like, the problem I have with this movie is John Laster. Like, John Laster is an asshole. And so watching this movie, I'm faced with the same problems that I have when I watch a Woody Allen movie, which is how am I able to separate the art from the uh, toxic personality who made it. And, you know, obviously Pixar has been able to improve its image since Laster exited. But this is this was obviously the byproduct of, you know, Lasseter. And we don't know whose voices were silenced during the making of it and the toxic things that he did. So, like, yeah, I would love to live in a vacuum where it's just the world of Toy Story and Buzz and Woody, just like I'd love to live in a world where it's just Annie and Alvy and Hannah and her sisters. But unfortunately, I don't know what to do with this movie. And so that makes it complicated but just viewing it you know through the prism of just the movie world of course it's excellent it's it's an amazing movie and it's it's still fun to watch but uh i I cannot deny that i have those feelings that hang out in my head 
That's unfair, though. I, I mean, it's nowhere near Woody Allen level. I mean, he gave unwanted hugs, or un. I mean, I don't know. Like that's just that's just. Oh, there were there were bad. some pretty bad reports. I mean, like, you know, uh, uh, women at Pixar who were just completely harassed, thrown under the bus, and you know, just a, a real toxic culture. And yeah, I mean, yeah, there are different varying accounts, just like there are different varying accounts of Woody Allen. But you know, the fa- I mean, the guy had like handlers while he was at Pixar. It just seems like a really unsavory situation by all accounts. And I'm glad it's remedied, but I can't, I can't, you know, separate that from the movie. Sadly, that's unfortunate. You, you have to learn I, to do that because that is a really unfortunate thing to have in your head. Well, I don't think about it actively as I'm watching the movie. See, that's the problem. You know, you watch the movie and it's escapist and it's wonderful, but I think that's one of the sad sort of legacies of those early Pixar movies was John Lasseter. Because, you know, if you read about Pixar, like, John Laster was such a central, like, figure in the whole operation. I mean, he basically kind of ran all the, you know, animation part of the company. <laughs> right. So, I, you know, I, I don't know. But I shouldn't have brought that up. Let's, let's keep it nice and merry. Yeah, right. Ch- cheers. I don't know. Well, I'm sorry. I, I think <laughs> I didn't mean to bring and, and it down. I, I, that's okay. No, I, I've always been one that's been able to. I feel like do a good job of separating art from artist, and uh, and so that that really isn't a isn't a problem for me. I find it really interesting how, I mean, this is the first thing Pixar did, and how you have so many of those influential voices all of of Pixar all over this movie. I mean, screenplay credits to Andrew Stanton, John Lasseter, and Pete Docter right there on the very first one editing done by lee uncrich i mean the, the they are and you have joss uh, whedon in there and joss know, whedon helped out Steve with the screenplay jobs. too yeah. yeah yeah so i mean you the 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 core of pixar that still is creating all this amazing art was has been there since the beginning and has Very been working true. on this stuff for the last twenty five years. That's a that's a um, great and, point to refute that because then it and then it's no longer just about Toy Story John Laster. It's about like who is the who is the true creative force of a movie? Is it just one director who did toxic horrible things? But then you're devaluing the work of all these other animators like Peak Doctor, who was one of the animators in this movie as well. So that that's an absolutely valid point to make and an important one. Yeah. And, and I mean, and I mean, you asked for what the what the license plate was. I mean, A one one three is all over the place in all the Pixar movies because that was the classroom at Cal Cal Arts that they all shared when they met and became and created Pixar. Um, and and it was all these guys. It was Laster. It was Doctor. It was Stanton. It was it was Uncrich. It was all these guys that that were college buddies that that created this empire that that's just amazing. Uh, I agree with what you guys are saying. I mean. Toy Story is, 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 like I said when we were talking about Soul, Pixar does a great job of being timeless, and I feel like Toy Story is just that. Um, unless you watch, like, Toy Story and then immediately watch, like, Toy Story 3, Toy Story 4, um, you don't necessarily see just how different the animation is. Like, you could watch, you watch this now 25 years later, and it's like, that animation is pretty great. Yeah, there's some stuff that's that's a little a little wooden that they're still trying to figure out. They didn't really fully know how to do people yet, but it's pretty awesome. And what they were able to do, thinking 25 years ago, uh, like, and really, I mean, you think 25 years ago, 1995, there were a lot of technical achievements. I mean, Toy Story, uh, the technical achievements they were able to do in making Apollo 13, another Tom Hanks movie. Uh, there was a lot of uh, a lot of great special effects advances in in that year, but um, I think that that 
adds to Toy Story for sure. Uh, the fact that it keeps on coming back up and uh, kind of reinventing itself has been great too. Zach, I know a point that you made to me at one point about Toy Story is um, you said you've often used Toy Story as like the perfect blueprint of how to how to construct a story. Yeah, I think if you are like teaching a screenwriting class to like as aspiring screenwriters, there's two scripts I would use before anything else that you would want to read on like day one. One of them is Toy Story. The other one is Jaws. I think those are like perfect in terms of understanding like structures and character conflicts and motivations and like resolution. And yeah, it's like a screenwriting blueprint. Yeah, Toy Story is just about perfect in that respect. And, and looking at this, this was nominated for three Oscars. And this was before, I mean, yeah, you had Beauty and the Beast four years earlier get nominated for Best Picture. But outside of that, animated films were not recognized at all at the Oscars. There wasn't an animated category for, to what, 1999? 2000, maybe? Right? One. 2001, yeah. one, yeah. Because Shrek beat Monsters, Inc. inexplicably. Yeah, and yet you have Toy Story, which is nominated for original screenplay. It's nominated for the song and the score. Um, and then uh, Lasseter was given a special achievement Oscar in 1995 for, for the achievement of Toy Story. Uh, I mean, it's it, it's as groundbreaking as you get um, in the last 25 years. The most groundbreaking film in the last 25 years, you can almost say. I mean, is that is that too too much to say? No, it completely changed the way animated movies are made. <laughs> yeah, and, and gave Disney a whole other arm for merchandising. <laughs> and well, profit generation. Well, there, there, there is that. Um, but uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think... I, I feel like Pixar is kind of its own thing, too. Like, yes, it yes, was its part thing. of the yeah, Disney... Yeah, for sure. This was before the, their the, merger, so Pixar absolutely was, like, doing its own thing... And it wasn't even funded by Disney. It was funded by Steve Jobs while they were making this movie. And if this right. movie had bombed, Pixar would have gone bust and they wouldn't have been able to make any of the future Pixar movies and they would have stayed with the traditional you know, animation that Disney was doing with like The Lion King and uh, Pocahontas. But I, I think even today, there there are there's your Disney animation movies and then there's a Pixar movie. I mean, there there is a definite distinction there. I mean, you can't just say that Pixar is just another Disney film because it's not. True. It, it, it's 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 its own thing for sure. Um, and uh, and yeah, I think I'm I'm trying to remember. Todd, you might be able to remember. Did this make the last AFI list of of 100 greatest films? Yeah, it was number 99. Uh, and I, but somehow it was like number six on their animated films top ten. Which I never understood how they did that, but yeah. Unless there were some holdouts being like, oh, computer animation isn't real animation or whatever. But yeah, yeah, it was on the top 100. You, you, you'd have to think if they redid that list now that Toy Story would be like top 20, right? I, I, don't, I mean, yeah. I mean, I would, I would think so. If they stick with how they made the rest of their list, then it, yeah, the groundbreaking nature of it and... I, I would think that I would have to move up pretty high, but they are pretty much biased toward everything post-1980. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, well, um, speaking of how groundbreaking Pixar was, one of the things that Pixar kind of made a thing that was starting to happen a little bit, but Pixar really established it, and that was big movie stars 
giving um, animated voice performances. Um, you, you had a, a little bit of that, like Jeremy Irons vo- voicing Scar in Lion King and James Earl Jones and, and things like that. But to that point, you did not really have the big Hollywood stars voicing your your animated films until you had Tom yeah, Hanks Robin and Tim Williams. Allen. Well, yeah, 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 Robin Williams and Aladdin. You, there were a few outliers along the way, but it wasn't until you had Tom Hanks and Tim Allen and some of the other great actors, character actors that voiced some of the other toys in Toy Story uh, that it became commonplace to have these big stars um, doing vo- uh, voice work. And I think it's kind of a, a rite of passage in Hollywood now that you, you, know, you know you've made it if you're able to vo- do a voice in an animated movie. Um, so we're going to build a, a Mount Rushmore here of the top vocal, vo- top voice performances of the Pixar era. So top, it doesn't have to be a Pixar film, but the top voice performances since Toy Story. Um, so of the last 25 years, and we're going to discount the Toy Story franchise. So we're, we're, we're saying that that is disqualified. So anything else of the last 25 years voice performances. Wait, this doesn't okay. have to be a Pixar movie? It does not have to be a Pixar oh, movie. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, just just uh, since since Pixar's been around. Yeah, just vo- doesn't have vo- to vocal be vocal performances. Vocal hmm. performances. Yeah. Okay. So now that I completely changed the game for Zach, um, Todd, I'll, I'll go to you first. What's your submission to uh, to Mount Rushmore? Well, it's it's easy. It is uh, it is James Gandolfini and Where the Wild Things Are, which is uh, one of the best vocal performances of all time, and definitely his best performance ever. It is a performance that you with words that you can feel every emotion that the actor is is giving like i mean it's it's a it's a perfect performance in that sense and i i don't think that anything could get better for james gandolfini i mean i know obviously he's tony soprano but like i mean where the wild things are when he played carol like it it ruined me and uh that i i think that that's as, as expressive as vocal performances get that is a pick that i would have never gone with but it is a pick that is perfect for you to go with i I feel it is it is as taut of a pick as you could have possibly gotten (laughs) yeah well i mean it's an easy one i have i have six others listed that i could have gone with so all right okay uh zach do you have do you have one that you uh you want to go with well okay so i'm gonna i'm just gonna start with the one that i would pick for the pixar list which was going to be ellen degeneres as dory in finding nemo because it's the only it's the only like minor character that got its own spin-off movie if i i think i think right and um you know i i think it, it defined ellen's persona it was like right at the time where she got her own show and i think that role was pivotal for her like turn to the national spotlight more than just being um a lesbian actress um but being a great and a really toxic talent. person on her show as well that has to be mentioned apparently <laughs> well okay um sure all right i guess i guess if we're being fair but um yeah. If if we're going though outside Pixar, I mean, my first instinct was to go to Tilda Swinton and Uncut Gems, obviously, but I think <laughs> that's, that's that's a good one. Um, I I really uh, this is a movie I know Todd didn't like, but 
I, I also want to say, I mean, oh shit, I don't know. I don't know who it was. Okay, so the movie was Compliance. Todd knows the movie about the guy <laughs> who calls up the McDonald's and basically harasses these people for like an hour and a half. I think the actor in it is Pat Healy, but I could be wrong. Whoever is the actor on the other end of the phone line in Compliance for me has to be the, the the greatest performance because that got under my skin and it was like uh, magnificent vocal acting um, but it was deeply deeply disturbing and unpleasant so are you saying that one or are you saying Ellen DeGeneres well I, I'll say Tilda Swinton how about that <laughs> I don't know <laughs> we'll cut this out I think out. you should go with Ellen go with Ellen okay I'll go with Ellen even though she's toxic according to Todd I think that was her staff every... more than Ellen, but I, I could be wrong. I don't know. Oh, man. Okay. Yeah, you could All right. be wrong. Ellen was on, was on my list. Um, and uh, I would say you're, you're correct on, on the spinoff unless you consider Cars 2 a spinoff for Larry the Cable Guy, which it kind of is. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay. Um, all right. I've got two here. Uh I'm going to go, I'll go with this one. So, uh, one thing that's kind of, that when you have these stars doing these, uh, these roles, um, most of the time when you hear it, it's like, oh, hey, that's so-and-so that's, that's talking as this person. And the first time where it was like, you're, you got a, a famous movie star that was, that was doing like a voice that that was unrecognizable but you it worked because it was a great um just a great vocal performer um was uh steve carell and despicable me so that's the one i'm going with i thought he was brilliant in that he he had this really really weird voice going and i remember watching him like wait that's that's steve carell and you it's it's really hard to hear that that it's him because he's just that good at doing at, at that voice and kind of disguising it and he created this whole other character and personality instead of oh hey that's tom hanks talking as woody oh hey that's tim allen talking as buzz lightyear oh hey that's ella ellen voicing dory um steve carell and despicable me it was completely different and i thought it, it was a great it was a great performance uh, and uh, and kind of did something very different with that one. So that's what I'm going with is my submission. Yeah, I I mean I wouldn't have gone with that, but I could see that. And uh, it's a Terry pick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely a Terry pick. Well, Todd okay, is a so Todd we've pick. got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've got we've got the very Todd pick in James Gandolfini and where the wild things are. Um, Zach's going with Ellen and Finding Nemo because we wouldn't let him go with the Zach pick, and uh, and <laughs> it was Pat Healy, by the way, as the voice. In oh, compliance. okay. And uh, and then I'm going with Steve Carell and Despicable Me. So now we've got to come up with one uh, to agree on all together as our as our joint submission. Uh, Todd, did you have any others you wanted to put forth? Uh, so I also wrote down Eddie Murphy and oh. Shrek. Uh, I wrote Ooh, that's down a good one. Pat Patton Oswalt in Ratatouille, Scarlett Johansson in Her, yes, obviously, uh, Ray Liotta in uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, because obviously, <laughs> and uh, Seth MacFarlane in Ted. I mean, because I mean, oh, that's a good call too. I, mean, I think that's <laughs> that. I mean, that's as outside the box too as as you get for Seth MacFarlane. I love that. Zach, pick. did you have I any think others? That should be our fourth. I don't think we're gonna get better than that. 
It, it, yeah. So the only one, the other other one I have that I think is might be the most iconic vocal performance of the last ten years is Will Arnett as the Lego Batman. I mean, yeah. That that just it, it's just too perfect to to have him voicing Batman like that. But uh, but yeah, I'm good with. I mean, you could say Seth MacFarlane has kind of defined vocal work. I mean, yeah, you say for Ted, but Family Guy. I mean, the go, Family Trey Guy Parker is and Matt Stone is any number of characters too. <laughs> true, but I I don't I would pre- I prefer Family Guy over South Park, um, and and just just the satire he's able to put forth. I'm I'm good with going with Seth MacFarlane. Seth MacFarlane and Ted. Yes. Yeah. That's Let's a great. That's a great call. I just because I don't want to go with Scarlett Johansson. I thought she was going to be on the list, and you know that would have been uh, what everyone else would have picked. I mean, we a lesser podcast would have gone with Scarlett Johansson. We're elevated in our taste. We're going but with nobody Seth was McFarlane. going with Ray Liotta. <laughs> I think I think we should go with uh, with uh, Mike Wazowski in Monsters Inc., and then uh, I don't know find somebody else so we could have a, a Mount Rushmore of vocal performances the last twenty five years that also hosted the Oscars. Because we've got Ellen and Seth MacFarlane, and then if we if we throw in uh, Mike Wazowski from Monsters Inc., we just need to find one more that hosted the Oscars. Yeah, I'm, well, try- I'm having trouble I mean, coming up with one more. Chris Rock was Osmosis Jones, so oh, there that's we go. there we go. Chris Rock is Osmosis Jones. <laughs> I don't think James Franco has been in any animated movies. Let me use in Sausage Party. Yeah. <laughs> Eddie Murphy almost hosted the Oscars. I mean, it could go with that. <laughs> this is a conversation nobody ever has. <laughs> Ever. Vocal performances by people who hosted the Oscars. Has Neil Patrick Harris been in an animated movie? He had to have been. Yeah, right. It must must have happened at some point. He had to have been. Okay. Um, all right. So we normally do a recasting. We decided to skip recasting for uh, for Toy Story simply because it's hard to recast animated work. One, two. They're still making Toy Story movies. Like just last year, all these guys re re uh, redid their roles. Uh, and, uh, so we're not going to do that. However, I do want to ask, who would Nicolas Cage play in Toy Story? I, I think he would be awesome as Slinky. Because I could see him really, like, digging in for, for some of those lines. Like, I should have held on longer. Like, I mean, oh, man, (laughs) Nicolas Cage doing that, I, I would, I would, I would eat that shit up. I, I think he'd make an insane buzz. I mean, he's an action hero at heart. You, you you make him buzz. Speaking of buzz, wasn't the original buzz supposed to be Billy Crystal? I feel like I, I saw that somewhere. That sounds like right. Like, he was supposed to be buzz, and then turned it down, and then um, when, when they came back to him for Monsters, Inc., he's like, yeah, I'm not going to say no to Pixar twice. <laughs> All right, Zach, what do you got? Uh, I thought about Pendulette as the... TV announcer, presumably during the Buzz Lightyear commercial. Um, I think I think Cage could infuse a lot of excitement and higher energy into that vocal performance. And it would be just random enough for like a 2020 Nicolas Cage performance. I like it. I like it. <laughs> okay. Let's go through our uh, our uh, 
deep dive superlatives here for uh, for Toy Story. Let's start with highest war performance. Now this is again this is a little different because we're talking about highest war of a of an animated film of voice work here. So uh, so Zach, I'm gonna go to you first. What's your highest war performance? In, in Toy Story. Well, this was the easiest one for me to pick out because this was one of the only roles that was replaced, and that is Jim Varney as Slink. Because, mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, Jim Varney died in between the making of Toy Story 2 and 3, and uh, he was replaced by another actor who wasn't nearly as good. Um, let's see, Blake Clark. And so Hunter. now every... Yeah, Chet Hunter from Boy Meets World. <laughs> oh, I did not know that. Okay. Or the 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 drunken Cajun in the uh, in the stands and with the water boy. Well, listen, I just I miss Jim Varney. I also kind of like that. I mean, Toy Story and Toy Story Two were the only movies he ever made with like above a three point oh on IMDb. So there's that, and um, he doesn't just have to be just, his legacy do doesn't just have to be going to jail and destroying Christmas as Ernest. Yeah, as. As someone who grew up almost more with Ernest than I did with Toy Story, I fully respect that pick. Like, that that was one of the few when I watched Toy Story for the first time, like, Ernest is Slinky Dog! I Like, that was one I actually knew as I was going into it, so uh, I, I, gotta, I, I gotta respect that one. Um, I'm gonna go next. Uh, my highest war performance is, uh, is the Pixar Lucky Charm himself. John Ratzenberger is Ham. Um, he has been in every single Pixar film. However, I honestly have no idea if where he was or if he was in Soul at all. I couldn't find him anywhere, and I, I tried to look it up. And people are, are are asking the same questions like, "Where's John Ratzenberger?" We didn't hear his voice at all. But um, it, it's it's such an iconic uh, iconic voice, and he he has one of the most distinctive voices. And again. I grew up on Cheers as well, so hearing Cliff Clavin in uh, in in Toy Story, and then in every single Pixar film after that, I mean, it's one of the it's always fun finding the Easter eggs in Pixar films, and one of the best ones over the years has been, where's John Ratzenberger gonna gonna pop up? But I mean, he's he's always gonna be the piggy bank. So, uh, so John Ratzenberger is my highest war. Todd, how about you? Yeah, but that's like choosing. Uh... Uh, Stan Lee as like the best performances in Marvel or whatever we did. But see, but see, this one he actually had a role though. Like everything else, he he's just like some little cameo. This one he had a, an iconic, an iconic moment there. Well, I'm I'm tempted to go with Wallace Shawn or Tim Allen. I guess I mean Tim Allen. I I feel like at that time, if you're Tim Taylor and you're Santa Claus and you're Buzz Lightyear, like you have this larger than life voice. Like that is hard to replace. And there's a reason why, like uh, Billy Crystal said eventually, you know, hey, like yeah, I wouldn't have been right for that role because it's because Tim Allen was that role, and he is. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like that is him at his apex, and. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's, for me now, in retrospect, that's the hardest one to replace. I mean, you could almost say, you could almost question who was the bigger star at the time, Tom Hanks or Tim Allen, as yeah. they as they both headed up that movie. I mean, you had the number one sitcom on TV, and Santa Claus was 1994, right? Just a year before? Yeah. 
But, and and so yeah. what makes that point interesting though is going back to a league of their own and sleepless in Seattle though like presumably Tim Allen would have recorded his voice well before he was that big so that's a good point yeah it was very prescient of them to pick you know someone like Tim Allen and not someone like I don't know Bill Cosby Bill for Billy talking Crystal. about talks with people <laughs> oh yeah yeah what what are you what are your thoughts on on the the uh, the Buzz Lightyear origin story movie that they've pitched, um, that they're get, that they're coming up with, that Chris Evans is going to play play Buzz Lightyear well, as they talk about like the, the real box. Buzz Lightyear. Like um, the voice box does not sound like Chris Evans at all. So I mean, I don't know. I, <laughs> it would it would not have been my choice. Well, I mean, I mean, he's gonna do it up a little bit. I doubt it's just gonna be like Captain America Buzz Lightyear. It's he's gonna have that's Chris Evans and everything though. Since not yeah, another except, movie and the perfect score, like that's what he sounds like in every movie. Uh, um, except for like Scott Pilgrim, man, that's actually hilarious. Uh, <laughs> that one's a little different. I don't know. By the way, Home Improvement started for Tim Allen in 1991. So if if he was interrupting, if it was like 93 ish, 92, 93 when they were. Uh, Recording it, he was already a year or two into into his hit sitcom. So, so but this is going to be, like, about a real human in the Toy Story universe, right? Like, the real yes. Buzz Lightyear. So, that means... Like, like it's going to tell the actual story of him fi- him fighting Zerg. So, Emperor Zerg is actually a real alien <laughs> that he's going to fight? But, like, that kind of is the idea. Is so, it's who, gonna be... who's, the, who's the alien? Uh, I'm... That's a great question. Who should be the alien? John Lithgow. Mm. Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage. I, I actually love both of those choices. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, John Lithgow has played an alien. Ah, oh, you're right. That influenced Ooh. me. That was subliminal. I didn't think about that until you just said that. That was. And he was un- the villain in Shrek. And Cliffhanger. But he was the villain and, in Shrek. Is that what you said? Yeah, he was. He, Lord Farquaad. Uh, yeah, Lord. Yeah. I mean, I would have gone with Dexter, but yeah, I mean, he's the villain in that too. Well, I was going with another animated performance <laughs> where he was the villain, but yes, he obviously is in Dexter as well. <laughs> it, that'll be. It'll be interesting to see how that. I mean, that that's like going. I I see the Lightyear movie being like the closest thing to the Incredibles that yeah, they'll be doing. I mean, so, I mean, it's not going to be Brad Bird. I think he's moved on, right? I don't know. I don't know. Probably. I mean, he's he's been doing other stuff. Okay. This might have been the hardest one to come up with. What was the worst performance in, uh, in Toy Story? Todd? Uh, I have Spencer asked as... The wounded soldier, because <laughs> I don't know. I feel like even in a war movie, that guy would have been out of place. And uh, he, I, I, I also question the logic of the fact that he got stepped on. So like, yeah, the base of his like, uh, his army man thing was broken. But like, Buzz gets his arm taken off, and he is not like phased physically by it but that guy can't even walk and he's acting like he just got shot like a human just got shot i'm like i don't know i i feel like that whole thing is way over the top valid points very valid points zach how about you worst performance 
Yeah, I similarly went with something obscure to actually just avoid answering this question because it's very hard to answer. I went with Billy West as the Owl's Toy Barn announcer. Um, and not just because it's Billy West. I mean, iconic, you know, uh, you know, person. I mean, he probably could have done a much much better job with the voice. But I guess kind of like Slinky, you know, the role of Al's Toy Barn gets considerably expanded on in Toy Story 2. And, you know, his voice in retrospect seems so, like, laconic and dull that uh, it makes Wayne Knight look uh, quite a bit more exciting by comparison. Lovely. Uh, uh, yeah, um, I went with uh, so I went with one that has definitely been redeemed since then. I went with Annie Potts as Bo Peep. I love Annie Potts, um, but it it was one where she just wasn't really given much to do to do in this. And I I mean it's you you, you could say again. I mean that this is a, a a bromance movie at, at its core, right? Between between Woody and Buzz, so. The women in this are, are, I would say, are definitely underwritten, and and that's usually what I end up going with in worst performance is like the most underwritten. And Bo Peep is definitely underwritten, and I think uh, Andy's mom is definitely underwritten, and they don't really have much to work with here. So I'm gonna go kind of with those two, but again, especially Bo Peep in Toy Story Four was completely redeemed, and and uh, and it was brilliant to bring back Annie Potts for that because she just has an awesome voice. And, uh, and it was, it was great to see that, uh, see that, uh, come out in Toy Story 4 for sure. All right. Uh, um, this, this could be a fun one. The Amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller, minor character of the film award. Uh, Zach, who is your favorite minor character? Okay, I'm going to go uh, Patrick Pinney as the pizza delivery guy slash yes. angry driver number two. Always been a favorite character of mine. Drives the iconic yo yellow truck from Pizza Planet. Hey, gas, dude! Um, which actually could also have been played by Nicolas Cage, too. But the truth is, when I hear that voice, I think it sounds a little bit like Chris Farley. But... It's still a great performance and a great minor character that I think we need um, expanded upon. Maybe maybe the Chris Evans movie will give us an opportunity to expand upon that character. If I he's mean, still alive. Sounding, sounding like Chris Farley is never a bad thing. <laughs> uh, all right, I'll go next. Uh, so I had two written down, um, but I'll go with um, my favorite minor character is the Etch-A-Sketch. Um, it's that, just etch etch yeah i know etch uh, and uh hey etch draw oh you got me again i mean it, it's just and then like like low-key one of the darkest moments of the entire movie is when they're like freaking out at woody and he draws the noose i mean seriously oh yeah yeah th- yeah they get super <laughs> violent there like in that scene like uh, like what the hell yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, Etch is Etch is my favorite minor character. Uh, well, I had two other ones. Uh, one we mentioned in the trivia is Combat Carl, because I don't know. I feel like I quote that a lot, and just like, oh, it's a Combat Carl, like, like <laughs> that poor little toy. <laughs> but my other one is Sid's mom, because uh, I don't know. I mean, like, Sid, you popped out already. Like, I don't know. If someone's making me Pop-Tarts, like, that's got to be one of my favorite people. 
Well played. Well played. Okay. We're going uh, Stickman and Douchebag next. Stickman and Toy Story is is a complicated uh, <laughs> category here. Yes. But um, I I think it's pretty. It my my choice. I think it's pretty obvious here. The the Stickman in this is legs. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's the it's the worst double entendre in Toy Story. That I mean, legs is a hooker. So uh, that is, she's are those obviously like a Barbie's the, legs. Is that what that's? Supposed I think to be? so. I think legs? so. You're with Ducky. You with Ducky. <laughs> and uh, and the Billy Bats douchebag. Uh, it's got to be Mr. Potato Head. I mean that 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 guy. Uh, he is he's just the worst. He's the one that's always the one that's like, hey Woody, you mess this whole thing up. And I mean, you're just asking to be a douchebag if you voice him by Don Rickles. I mean, that that that's like okay. That 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 character's the douchebag. Got it. Okay. I mean, listening back to it, watching it now as an adult, you're like, oh yeah, Don Rickles is voicing the idiot, the douchebag here. It's gotta be. So um, so yeah, that's that's what I'm going with. Um, Todd, how about you? Uh, so the stick man. Uh, I I'll go with Buzz because, you know, as they point as I think it's um, Potato that points out, like uh, Woody has laser envy. Of Buzz, and uh, you know, uh, Bo Peep says, you know, that uh, he has an impressive wingspan, and he basically steals Bo from Woody. So, I mean, those are all definite stickman qualities for Buzz. Uh, for douchebag, uh, I'll go with Ham because I mean, you said Potato Head, but t- Potato Head does call him an uncultured swine. So, I mean, I think that makes you a pretty pretty big douchebag. So. And and Ham does have the those like really asshole lines throughout the movie too, so that's all I'll go with. See, see, he he's just sarcastic yet endearing. Um, Potato Head's just 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 yeah, Don Rickles. <laughs> he's Don Rickles. That's all you really need to know. All right, Zach, how Toss about you? Him overboard. <laughs> um, I went with Rocky Gibraltar for my stick man. Because, I mean, he's a pretty ripped guy. He's able to actually extend the pulley thing down at the moving truck. He's probably getting it in at some point with Bo Peep or her sheep or um, really any other character in that bedroom. Um, I feel like he could swing either way. Um, he goes to the gym, you know. And then the the uh, douchebag character, I mean, I think Potato Head's a pretty big douchebag. Um, I think Emperor Zerg for secretly building a weapon with a capacity to just destroy an entire planet that puts you, I I'm pretty sure in douchebag territory, but, um, I really think though the worst offender in this movie in terms of douchiness is the claw because the claw is this <laughs> revered sacred godlike figure who leads, um, these, you know, aliens to their deaths and that's not a lot more douchey than that. So claw for sure. My other stickman option was RC because he gets ridden by two people at once. So, there's that. But I I don't know. He uh, he he ran out of energy before uh, before the job was <laughs> yeah, done. His battery went out. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh. 
Oh, that that's bad. That's really bad. Okay. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> uh, all right. What's your favorite scene? What is your favorite scene from Toy Story? Zach, we're going to go to you first. Um, I do really like the scene where... Uh, well, let's think here. Um, you know what? I'm going to go with this. I'm just going to pull an audible. I'll go with the scene when Buzz is punch drunk on the imaginary tea as Mrs. Moffat um, with... Uh, Nesbitt. 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 Excuse me. Mrs. Moffat's in Silence of the Lambs. Sipping down Jarjeeling with um, uh, uh, Marie Antoinette and her sister. I mean, an alcoholic Buzz Lightyear was just a pleasure to watch. I'd forgotten about that scene. And uh, even though it is a scene where his dreams and hopes are are dashed, um, it's still a pretty funny moment. Certainly Buzz's funniest moment um, in the movie. And uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll leave it there. Tell me the hat looked good. The apron was a bit much, but tell me the hat looked good. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. All right, Todd, what's your favorite scene? Uh, well, I guess I'll, I'll go with the, the scene at Pizza Planet, because that was one of my favorite uh, movie restaurants that we uh, ranked at one point. And the, the whole scene with the claw is just amazing. Like, you know, ooh, the claw. It moves. It decides who will stay and who will go. And then, like, Sid in that scene is absolutely owning it. Like, all right, double prizes. <laughs> like, I, I know. That that scene is amazing. I, I, I love I love the, the effort to get Buzz into the stroller. I love the effort to, like, pull him out of the, out of the game after he decides he's going to be there with the aliens. Which, by the way, like, he's, like, freaked out by uh, a sheriff when he first get like uh wakes up but then he is literally in a thing of freaking aliens and he's like i am buzz lightyear i am your master and like he's worried about aliens the whole movie like <laughs> oh you know those little green guys are coming up in lightyear you know they're coming up in the new <laughs> oh, movie they have to be but like <laughs> that's never made any sense to me it's like he hadn't evolved that much by that point, <laughs> but he's he's like totally not afraid of the li- li- like serious aliens. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Either way, that scene's the best scene. Piece of planet. I want to go there. All right, I'm gonna say uh, my favorite scene is. Um, I mean, there's two, but the one I wrote down here is the opening recon, uh, Andy's birthday party. Uh, it just that whole sequence of the army men going out and and uh with the with the uh, baby monitor and and doing the recon on what the presents are and all the reactions to it and bed sheets who invited that kid <laughs> i mean even though it's, i was one it, of the it, most scared of when they saw him walking in because it's like that super long ass box <laughs> that, that's yeah. also really tiny. <laughs> uh but I, that, it's such a it's such a creative scene and the one thing the other minor character I had written down was the army men. And one thing I noticed in this one is the army men are basically like, like a colony of ants in the way they work to get that whole thing done. It's just, it's just really fun to watch. And, and, uh, and it's, it's our second 1995 Arlie Ermy deep dive that we've done here. And so, uh, after he was, uh, he was the guy in the bar in leaving Las Vegas. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So, uh, nicely done. Yeah. The other one I was going to mention is, is the scene where, where all the toys rebel against Sid. That, that's just a cool scene. It's just an awesome scene. 
So uh, those are my two favorites. The other ones I was thinking of was uh, when Strange Things comes on, like that whole sequence when everything changes from uh, Woody to Buzz. Like I, I love that. I love that little montage. And uh, also at Dinoco, when uh, when Woody and Buzz fight, and then they hop in the truck, uh, the the Pizza Planet truck. Like that, that's a great scene too. The, the, those are my other ones that I was considering. Yeah. Those are all good ones. Okay. Now, flaws or conspiracy theories? I've got I've got a couple, but uh, but anybody have any flaws or conspiracy theories that they want to uh, that they want to mention here? Uh, okay. I have some things I want to mention. Okay, so Buzz knows that he has a voice box because he point he pushes it and it says Buzz Lightyear to the rescue. But, and he knows that he has to drop when humans walk in. But he actually thinks he's the real Buzz Lightyear. So at what point is he not a toy in his own brain? But he actually, I don't know, like he's freaked out by the humans? I, I've i never quite understood how that works out. Maybe, I don't know. I don't think we're going to get any explanation on that. But I, I No, we're not. <laughs> but that, that's, a, that, I, yeah, I, yeah, I've always thought the same thing. Uh, another thing is that, well, just a, a continuity flaw is that when they're trying to light the rocket with RC, RC's remote control is just gone. Like, the moment they decide oh, yeah, they're going to light too. the rocket, the, the remote control's no longer there. <laughs> the last time you see it is is Woody drops it next to RC, but then it's gone. You're right. Uh, another thing I want to know is whose cat is Whiskers? Because it's clearly not their cat. Because they get a dog, and I don't, they never show them with a cat. And it's clearly not Sid's cat. I don't think he could have a cat. He'd probably kill it. Like, whose cat is Whiskers, and why do the toys know it so well? And it's in, But it's in the bushes between their two houses. Whiskers! I have no it's idea whose call. cat that is. Yeah, that is a good call. And uh, one other thing is that when uh, uh, Buzz is watching the commercial that makes him realize that he's... Uh, a toy, I always thought until this time that uh, when it says Buzz Lightyear and then it's like uh, and then there's a kid's voice that responds. I always thought that was Sid's voice but it's not because it was actually on the TV but who is actually sitting there watching the TV? Is that Sid's dad? Yeah, good question. Is that his older brother? I was wondering that too. It can't be his mom because his mom had just made the Pop-Tarts so and it can't be Sid because like those were like adult feet. So who the hell I always is that? thought it was his dad. I can't see Sid having much of a father figure in his life. <laughs> I don't know. Well, well, to be passed out watching TV at 9 a.m. on a Saturday, I mean... Yeah, I, I suppose. Okay, so another thing I noticed about that, and Todd, I think you will appreciate this, that I noticed for the first time here. So they're watching one an old... Uh, a really old TV in that scene, right? Like old TV box on the floor. Um, and, uh, and Todd, you and I had one of those old time TVs with the, with the like dial changing the channel in our room growing up. And those things get old and you have to do all the little quirky stuff to make them work. Ours, the power button stopped working. So you actually had to unplug it to turn it off. Yeah. Um, this one I noticed for the first time this time, the channel changer, the dial for the channel changer was gone. 
and they had a wrench, like like rubber banded to the little peg to change the channel on that TV. I and never it was like, oh, that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So next time you watch it, there is a wrench that's rubber banded shut onto the peg of the t of the old TV sitting on the floor in that room, so they can crank the wrench to change the channel. And I was like, oh, that just that just brings me back once again to my childhood and having to unplug the TV when it was time to go to bed. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> uh, I mean, the detail on some of this stuff is just is just great. Um, all right. I have a couple a couple uh, a couple flaws here. The first one. So Todd mentioned something about buzz at the beginning. Another thing that I've always noticed about buzz is when he has his. His fall, his first falling with style, and he he rides the car and does the loop de loop. It's impossible for him to do that loop de loop. His wings are out. It's impossible for him to actually make that loop de loop happen, because unless he retracts his wings and like they do a camera trick to make it work, but uh, but his wing would hit the loop. It wouldn't happen. It wouldn't work. <laughs> I never thought about that. <laughs> oh so, shit. So, <laughs> So he that 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 whole thing is like, and, and and just you know just conveniently when he hits the loop de loop they go into the first person view of him going over going around the loop de loop and as soon as he's out of it they go back to to watching him do it, just so they didn't have to explain how the wings went through it. Anyways, that, that was one thing. That's a great point, dude. That, I mean, that is like borderline MVP of this podcast right there. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other flaw I had is uh. The uh, either Sid is the greatest player of the claw game ever, or that is the worst claw game I've ever seen. Nobody ever wins the claw game, and he won it twice in a row. What I know, he got it perfectly on his you know, the thing that does that, 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 that whoosh thing. <laughs> I know, me. I mean, it, it never works that way, it never works. I, I, I don't know how many times I've tried to play that game. And I'd be like, oh, I've got it this time, I've got it this time. And then it, it like, starts to pull up, and after it pulls up past all the toys, then it closes. And it's like, it, it's rigged not to win, and he wins it twice in a I, row. It's I had friends who could do it. I think you have to have a special sort of boredom in life or insecurity, maybe that Sid also has. But I think you, there are people who could do it. I, I think Sid just needs a really good way to get toys, and that's a cheap way to do it. So he's mastered that game, so that he can. I feel like he can Sid destroy and as many McAllister toys as possible. Would be good friends. <laughs> that's a good call. That's a good call. Um, okay, Zach, did you have any flaws you wanted to mention? Because I have a conspiracy theory. Yeah, I just. Well, go ahead with your conspiracy theory, because I had conspiracy theories more than flaws. Okay, so the the. My conspiracy theory here is, have you ever noticed, and this is the first time I've noticed it, that Buzz Lightyear's backstory is, I, I couldn't decide if it was Princess Leia or R2-D2, but it's, it, that's, it's his backstory. Because when he's explaining and reading like the description on the back of his, his rocket ship, I mean, Emperor Zurg has created this powerful weapon that could destroy an entire planet. I alone hold the secret to this weapon's only weakness. And I mean that it, it's it's Star Wars, 
Buzz Lightyear is no. Star Wars. It's, uh, Little Rogue One more than Star Wars, maybe, but. Well, but well, no, I mean, it's it's like the first hope. five minutes of A New Hope. He's either Leia or he's R two D two. So so that I never I mean, thought of that. Well, the ship kind of does look like R two D two. It kind of does. It kind of does. But yeah, they totally they totally ripped off uh, ripped off Star Wars in in uh, coming up with. I'm Lightyear's not sure it's a rip off. So. I'm sure it's an homage. <laughs> you know. Oh yeah, homage. They, they, they but they have thought sure. about this for like you know ten fifteen years or whatever. Yeah, I, I I will say like my favorite like thing Pixar did was like the original trailer for Wall-E, where they talked about that first uh, that first meeting they had as Pixar to come up with, or it was the first thing after Toy Story. It's like okay, we did Toy Story. What are we gonna do next? And they came up with all these possible stories. And it's like they and in that one sit down of like a two hour meeting in a diner, they came up with a story for a Bug's Life, for Monsters Inc. For uh, the Incredibles, for Finding Nemo, and for Wally, and it's like, I mean, that was like, I just thought that that was super super cool. But that that brain yeah, brainstorming the, yeah, session. Yeah, the brain the brain trust is, <laughs> I mean, it, it was those guys that were on on Toy Story. Yeah, and then all the people okay. that trained under them on each of their on each of their movies. Right, right, for sure. All right, Zach, what were your conspiracy theories? It's not even conspiracy theories. It's just stream of consciousness random stupid shit um i thought that that's uh, that's the best (laughs) yeah i thought that sid sleeping looked a lot like a future jack in sideways maybe i don't know with his ass in the air like that (laughs) well he gets up really quickly you know (laughs) um i did not understand the pacifier in the ceiling Can, can you explain that to me what was that about who's ceiling like Sid's, uh, Sid's house has a pacifier in the front entrance way. That's how the that's how the to- the Sid's toys get through it to distract the dog. Like, why is there a pacifier in the ceiling? That was the porch light. The porch light. Yeah. Okay. It was. Yeah. It's not a pacifier. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, it looks yeah, okay, a lot that... like a pacifier. It's a. It's a. It's a light fixture with well, a Well, then this bulb. is a conspiracy theory. My conspiracy theory is that it's actually a pacifier. Because <laughs> it looks a lot like That one. is a giant pacifier. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Sid would, Sid would, you know, replace his porch light with a pacifier. That sounds like something he would do. But... Or he would replace it with, you know, Ducky's head. <laughs> Which is... I've, I've never seen that as a porch light, by the way. Um, but what, okay, now, I'll have to watch it now. <laughs> I've only ever seen it as a pacifier, and I've had many questions about that. Um, I thought Woody's, Woody's group scenes um, resembled Jordan Belfort's speeches in The Wolf of Wall Street. I also yeah. had, a, I had a question about Andy's mom. She doesn't even fill up the moving truck. Why do they need a moving truck? Like, there's hardly anything in the van, and there's hardly anything in the moving truck. Like, why? Why, why buy one? Well, she's a single parent, and she only has two young kids. I don't know. She doesn't have that much shit in her exactly. Giant she was, she house. doesn't have money to spend to waste on a moving truck, especially one that size. It's like a fifty-foot moving truck. Well, I mean, here's another thing that you could consider this a flop. How spotless the Andy's room is, considering that Andy and Molly share it. As a father of two young kids, there is no way in hell. That 
a room shared by a baby and a what seven year old you could say is that spotless at all well, times it's the kids I mean, clean it, up. It's, or not the kids yeah, the, the yeah. toys the toy the toys look after andy I, I i that's the only way that is the only way i mean ours don't share a room and both have like are ridiculous anyways yeah all right, and then my last point was um, the number of times in this movie that Mr. Potato Head falls apart and splats all over the place. I thought that was going to be a trivia question. I think it was four, I think it was four or five. Well, what I was going to say is that would make a great drinking game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I also thought that uh, Sid's house had mo- one of the more unique wallpapers I've ever seen. If if you notice in the front entryway, his wallpaper was bamboo. Like for like I I was watching it and I had to turn to my wife and be like, wait a second, is that a marijuana leaf? And she goes, no, it's bamboo. I was like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. Okay, <laughs> but it's still really unique. <laughs> uh, okay, I had a couple more uh, categories I wanted to go over uh, before we got before we get to uh, to wrapping this whole thing up. Um, so it, it, we just celebrated Christmas. We have in Toy Story, we have a birthday, we have Christmas. What is your favorite or most memorable present you ever got? Uh, Preferably if it was a Christmas present, but any, any present that you can remember most memorable or favorite that you ever had. Um, Todd, I'll go to you first. Uh, well, for me, it's not close. It is when my sister got me tickets to uh, go see Metallica and Avenged Sevenfold because I've wanted to see Metallica since I was in like middle school, and I got to go see them at the formerly known as CenturyLink Field, that is now Lumen Field, uh, and along with my third time seeing Avenged Sevenfold, that was an amazing moment. Uh, best sister ever, Trisha, because she got me those tickets. I think it was my birthday, but I can't exactly say that for sure but it was like what three two three years ago when we actually could do things like that <laughs> she actually has to listen to this podcast now because you you shout her out as the best sister ever yeah well, i think i did that on <laughs> facebook at the time <laughs> but yeah I'll, I'll tell her to listen to it anyway i mean it's about toy story i watched it with her <laughs> there you go there you go all right zach how about you yeah kind of uh, similar to todd's um it was the for the only um, non-COVID Christmas where we didn't fly and see family for some reason, Christmas 2015, and uh, my wife got me tickets to the 70mm Roadshow version of The Hateful Eight, which we oh, saw yeah. Christmas morning, and uh, that was pretty spectacular. Even though I didn't, it's not my favorite Tarantino movie, but the experience of it was, was um, pretty great, and it made me forget that it was Christmas morning that we were driving to Kansas City to see a movie, So, but it was worth it. Nice, nice. All right, so the one I've got to go with, I've been thinking, I heard this question like back near the beginning of December, and I've been thinking about it ever since, and it's been and racking my brain for what I'd have to go with. And, and I don't even know if Todd remembers this one, but I'm going back to when we were kids. I was maybe, maybe, what, like 11 or 12, and so that would make Todd like 8 or 9. And we always opened presents on Christmas Eve, um, and we would open them Christmas Eve night and we would open them and, and our parents always said we'd open them so that they could sleep in in the morning and we could get up and play with all our gifts without them having to get up too, which 
great thinking. Now, now as a parent, I'm like, that is like genius. But there was one Christmas, so we opened up all our presents Christmas Eve, and it's like, great, we're all done and everything. And um, and then we wake up Christmas morning, go play with our toys, and we wake up and get to the living room, and there is a new bike in the living room. It was like the only time I ever got a gift on Christmas morning. And it was a complete shock because we never got gifts on Christmas morning. And Todd, I, I don't remember if, I think both of us got a bike that day. I and, don't remember um, this, actually. You don't remember this? Yeah. So it was, and it was like, we all opened all our gifts Christmas Eve and we thought we were done because we're always done Christmas Eve. And we, we wake up, we go into the living room and, and obviously not under the tree, but next to the tree are two brand new bikes. And it was like, that is like that still to this day. It's that's like one of the most memorable Christmas moments I've ever had because it was, it was the different one. And, and it was, it was, it was just, it was just cool. Except it would you don't remember morning. that we couldn't have actually gone and used those bikes at that time, right? <laughs> well, yeah, but but still, it was it was I, I that's like of all the gifts I've gotten, like I can still and again I've got a really weird memory that remembers everything, but right, um, yeah, 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 but I I can still like like see the moment when I walked into the living room and saw those bikes sitting there on that Christmas morning. That must have been the it, following it, summer when we built the dirt bike track in the green belt. <laughs> must no, been. we built it. We built it in the cul-de-sac first. Like it, it, it was. It was. It was. I think it was before we built that one. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This must have been before I was remembering everything. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great one. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't remember it, so it's not as great as Metallica, but I appreciate the thought. <laughs> Okay, all right, so I've got one more category I want to go over with you guys. Um, Pixar is known for their Easter eggs. Favorite Pixar Easter egg? I should have prepped you guys for this one, but I just thought of it as we were, as we were starting the podcast. Favorite Pixar Easter egg? There are so many. Like, I, I, I love always trying to find the Pizza Planet truck in every Pixar movie. Um, apparently I, I had to look it up today. It's in Seoul. It's in the hall of everything. Um, it, it, it's sitting kind of off to the side as well as the axiom from Wally is in the hall of everything too. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, but I, I, I like that one. I like how they always try to sneak in a little snippet of the next Pixar movie in the one before. Like, uh, like Lotso is sitting in the room of the, of the little girl who sees Carl Fredrickson's house flying by and up. Um, I, I, I always, I always like that kind of stuff. Well, I mean, um, I, I do like how Sid shows up in Toy Story 3 as, uh, as the garbage man and smells, yes. he smells Lotso and he's like, what, strawberries? Hmm. And he puts him <laughs> on the, the front of the garbage truck. But that, I, mean, that is a, that I, is I don't come up with these like when I'm watching them the first time. <laughs> so. No, yeah, you don't. You don't for sure. Zach, do you have any that uh, that kind of stand out? Oh, definitely the the uh, Pizza Planet truck. Yeah, it's a great one. It, it really is. I mean, yeah, they even somehow got that into Brave, which was <laughs> <laughs> impressive <laughs> to say the least. 
that that wasn't that was impressive for sure and i think even in brave like like there's a wood carving in in brave of like mike and sully because monsters yeah. university was the next one well yeah I, there was I mean, the, the whole the whole theory that you know uh she was actually boo and all that you know or the the, the old lady yeah was actually boo and whatnot oh yeah that's right yeah um i also like how there's like uh like letters from Carl and Ellie Fredrickson on like Andy's wall in Toy Story three, isn't I th- I think that's how that one works. Um, yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Th- I love just all the little details they sneak into their movies like that because it's all animated and they can they they just mess with stuff like well, that. Well, I mean, even it's in just Toy amazing. Story, like uh, Sid's uh, toolbox says Binford Tools. It's on Binford it. Tools, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and that's just something that's just like, all right, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll get, we'll, we'll throw you something else here. Like, hey, you want, you want to be in our movie here? Here's a promotion for your TV show. Boom. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, okay. Anybody else have any other uh, categories they want to throw out there before we wrap this up? I don't think so. Nothing. Awesome. Okay. Nothing. Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. Everybody on the bus. All right. LVP MVP. That's not the first Chris Farley. <laughs> and we've had. Yeah. This. Yeah. That's true. It's true. Um. Let's see here. Uh. Zach. LVP MVP. You go first. All right. Uh. My LVP of this movie is uh Woody because Woody is not very uh, is not a gracious and accepting host of Buzz Lightyear and. Woody, I think, could have done a little bit more to help Sid's toys escape. He kind of leaves them, like, the, the, you know, what, what are they going to do? You know, they're probably going to continue to suffer under Sid. I mean, I guess he, you know, tries to come to life and scare Sid. That leaves my MVP of the movie, which is a co-MVP between Sid's toys and Hannah, Sid's sister, for having to live with Sid. Not a, not a task anyone would want to do. Don't you want to play with Sally? Uh, that's a good call. That's a good call. All right, Todd, LVP MVP. Uh, my LVP is the Magic Eight Ball because that is the one that starts the series of events that turns Woody into a monster that uh, decides he wants to throw Buzz out the window. And my MVP, I'm gonna go with John uh, Joe Ranft, who is one of the. Uh, Oscar-nominated writers of this movie, and he is also the guy who gave the idea of the Pixar theory to somebody before he <laughs> tragically died in a car accident, and uh, or whatever. How he, I think that's how he died. But yeah, I mean, he and because he, he's also the voice of the 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 um, binoculars in the movie, uh, because that that is what we love about Pixar is because everything is connected, and you can think that all of these things are are actually part of one idea that they came up with as terry said uh, at some lunch meeting at one point and uh i still think they are because everything still holds up joe ramped is the mvp of pixar and of this movie good call good call okay i'm gonna say my lvp is scud um i mean we we've talked before on this podcast how i mean sid is made out to be a villain however I mean, when you think about how we handle toys as a little kid, 
I think there's a lot more Sid in us than Andy than and than we'd like to admit. But Scud is just a horrible dog. <laughs> he is an evil, just like asshole of a dog, and uh, and he just ruins everything. And uh, Scud, and so... you idiot. <laughs> she even knock. Yeah, she knocks over the sister. You know. I know, knocks over the sister and then has to chase Woody and Buzz. He I mean, is running he... pretty damn fast, though, to catch up with a moving truck. <laughs> that is pretty impressive. <laughs> yeah, I, that's very true. So uh, so Scud's my LVP, uh, and I have two MVPs. One is Randy Newman because, I mean, his, oh, yeah. his score and his music is so synonymous with, like, I can't even hear Randy Newman's voice anymore without thinking about Toy Story. And so he is so synonymous with this whole with this whole uh, whole franchise now, um, and I think he finally won his Oscar for his his uh, his song he wrote for Toy Story three, right? Um, which is way overdue, but um, but that's one of them. And then my other MVP is just simply the Pixar Empire in general. I mean, we talked at the beginning of this about how how Disney has kind of taken over everything and pixar is a part of part of that crazy empire that disney has now however i would argue i mean we started this talking about soul and where they're at now now we're talking about where they began with toy story i think it i I think it's fairly safe to say that the most creative people working in the movie industry right now are working at pixar and how i mean you do have the franchises like toy story like cars, like the monsters, and I mean, but considering what everybody else is doing, Pixar really has had not a whole lot of sequels, and they come up with original story after original story that connect with more people um, on a universal way. I mean, from tiny little kids to full-grown adults, um, and it all started with Toy Story. And now we see how it, how it's, and we've talked about how Toy Story was such a simple version. And now you look at the complexities of something like Soul and they're the most creative people in, in Hollywood right now. And they are still coming up with creative, innovative ways of telling new original stories. And because they've created this empire, they're allowed the creative freedom to still do that. And it all started with Toy Story. So the guys like Pete Docter and Andrew Stanton and Leon Critch and the guys who are still working at Pixar and coming up with these amazing stories that started on Toy Story, I think they're the MVPs because they've given us some of the most creative stories and imagination that um, we've had over the last 25 years in, in the movie industry. So, they're my MVPs. Cheers. All right. Quote of the daytime. Strawberries. Not the cheese. Womack. With a little sex in it. Quote of the day. Uh, Zach, I'll go to you first. All right, my quote comes from the late, great Jim Varney, the voice of Slink, and he said once, Life is just a bus stop to somewhere infinitely better. Which I feel like is a quote that could apply to both Toy Story, but also to the other Pixar movie reviewed today, Soul. So, R.I.P. Jim Varney. A classic. Great call. Great call. Alright, I'm going to go next. I'm giving Todd the last word. I don't know if that's a good idea or not, but I'm going to do it. 
Um, so my, my quote comes from Toy Story, and it's a quote that I, that I heard very differently this time watching it, especially as a, uh, as a father of young children. I think Zach will appreciate this as a, as a teacher and uh, a leader of young minds. Um, it's when uh, Bu- Buzz and Woody are arguing with each other, and uh, at one point, Woody says, the word I'm searching for, I can't say. Because there are preschool toys present. And I don't know how many times throughout my week, whether it's dealing with my five-year-old or dealing with my 13-year-olds in the classroom, I have that moment Woody has where it's like, the word I want to use, I can't. Because there's preschool toys present. <laughs> so so that's that's my quote. Zach, can you relate? Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Todd, what's your last word? Well, I, I was just going to quote Buzz Lightyear because he's obviously the hero of the movie. And he says, I just want you to know that even though you tried to terminate me, revenge is not an idea we promote on my planet. But we're not on my planet, are we? And I feel like that is just something that makes that character so interesting. And I don't know. I, I feel like our like our podcast is a planet unlike any other two. So, okay, that actually brought me to another another interesting thing. What planet is Buzz from? I mean, he's human. Is he not from Earth? He I always thought Alderaan, that was interesting right? too. <laughs> you... yeah, obviously, he's from Alderaan. There we go. <laughs> All right. Uh, With that, we're going to bring this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, Like I said, this is our last podcast of 2020. And I think we all will be bidding this year a very speedily adieu. Um, And uh, our next broadcast will be coming from the Fraumara Highlands on the surface of the moon. Uh, So uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. That was an ominous (laughs) send-off. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.